Hello, Carla. Hi, Steve. How's it going? Good. How do you sound? I don't sound normal. Hi, everybody. You're listening to Tone Control, Conversations with Video Game Developers. I'm your host, Steve Gaynor. Hi, Steve. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) And I'm talking to my studio co-founder and creative partner, Carla Zamaja, today. Hi, Steve. (laughs) Hi, Carla. How's it going? (laughs) Uh, It's good to be talking to you, finally, about, like, all this stuff that we do together. This is sort of hilarious. We've been through a lot of stuff together. I was thinking about it uh recently and i'm like man we have just like i don't know we've been through a lot of obstacles yeah yeah um we've worked together a lot in a lot of different contexts including living together while working together for some period of time and yeah uh it's i mean it's interesting to think when you're in the kind of like business and creative relationship that we are in how much just more overlap there is in all those kinds of life events and kind of stuff that you've been through, you yeah. know, than, than when it's just a an, an ordinary coworker. Yeah, it is no, interesting to think about. It's true. It's it's super, like, yeah. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, for, for those who are less familiar, um, Carla and I uh, have been the co-leads of three titles that we've released, uh, Minerva's Den... The DLC for Bioshock 2 Hooray. that 2 Gamer in, um, Gone Home, and most recently Tacoma, and we're uh, spinning up our next project right now. Um, but yeah, we're we're gonna you know talk about um, you know where you came from, uh, <laughs> which sounds weirder than it needs to, um, and how you got into games and how we got working together and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, this is probably the last episode of Tone Control. I don't have plans to record Mm -hmm. more in the future maybe that'll change um but it feels like kind of an appropriate full circle thing for us to talk about this to to wrap things up so So you're saying i have to be entertaining oh no Mm -mm. Mm -mm. the opposite (laughs) yes Uh, dry and boring if we can make people happy there aren't going to be any more of these because this is such a bad episode that i think we'll be doing a service to the public (laughs) Um, i love this so you Grew up in the Boston, Massachusetts area. Yes, yeah. it is true. Um, yeah, I am from um, a suburb of Boston, uh, about halfway between Boston and Cape Cod. Um, and it was nautically themed. Yeah, yeah. Yes, extensively. <laughs> um, there's like, I don't know, boat everything. Like hmm. you go into the, the downtown area and... Um, it's straight up called, it's not called the downtown of town. It's called the Harbor because okay. it is a Harbor. <laughs> and I was thinking it was going to be like part of a ship. It's called the hold. Oh. <laughs> it's called the starboard side of wow. town. <laughs> I mean, that's like, I mean, you're talking about like a themed bar. Yeah, that's true. Perhaps. <laughs> but, um, anyway, yeah. And the name of the bar is the poop deck. Oh no. <laughs> I'm going to cough. 
I don't think I know what a poop deck is. I think it's probably more entertaining to not really know. It's probably fine. It's like a rear admiral. It's like, you know what? There's just like butt-themed nautical things, and I don't want to know about them, really. Just keep them in that special butt-themed place in your heart. Nautical they butts. Don't need, they don't need to be demystified. Boat butts. <laughs> so you grew up around a lot of boat butts. No. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I was fine. Um, <laughs> and I went to college in Providence. Uh, oh, right, yeah. I went to art school, and it was cool to be in a school that was just for art. It was, yeah. like, nice and new and interesting. Um, and that, I don't know, was probably good for me in general, just to be around a lot of um, people trying to make stuff but like honestly the most important um stuff that i learned there was like critiquing yeah and actually i don't know being in a being in an environment where everyone is at different levels but at your level of experience approximately is i think a really interesting um environment yeah like skill differentials but you're all still undergrads you're right. all kind of starting out yeah. yeah i hadn't i don't think i had really thought of it that way about like yeah. previously but i think that was that was one of the valuable things yeah. i had some really good teachers and stuff and i got to you what, know what what brought you to art school you were an art art kid yeah i guess so um did you do like a lot of because i know that you i mean the the downside of this interview is i know a lot more about you than a lot of my interview subjects why don't i interview you then no uh so but but i can sort of be like i know you went to art school for animation mm-hmm. but did you do a lot of of drawing and animation at you know as a kid when you're growing up uh no i got into animation in college i thought mm. i was going to college for illustration mm. because that was i don't know the most logical thing i could think of because yeah. i was like whatever 16 or something right. when i started applying so i didn't <laughs> really know what i was doing yeah um that's funny because i i kind of started from the same place where I had done a lot of drawing and character illustration and comics and stuff when I was growing up and yeah when I went into the art program at college I also was like I'll focus on Mm -hmm. life drawing and illustration and 2D art and I realized that was not where I was going to end up Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so I kind of switched in my case to sculpture Mm -hmm. later because I was like "Mm, this is something that is like interesting to me in a different way Mm -hmm. because being a professional illustrator is not going to be my uh, livelihood. Yeah, it's uh, it's not as fun as it looks in a lot of ways. Um, Also, like, yeah, I I also tried um, sculpting like in a more systemic way than just like screwing around with Sculpey when I first got into college and I really enjoyed it. I had a, I had a really good time with, um, uh, with just general like clay sculpting and forming things out of um, different materials in 3D, and that yeah. totally um, helped me a lot later when I went on to try to learn 3D modeling. Yeah. Just the concept of thinking about things um, in the round is something that I don't really think I had in any way put the time in when I was in like high school. Yeah, I mean, yeah, having to having to think in three dimensions. Mm-hmm. You're, I mean, you're, like you know, when you're doing environment or character illustration you're kind of trying to translate 3d into 2d but like it's very different from actually yeah <laughs> having think, an object that you're working with i think that i think it, it can vary a lot honestly yeah. but yeah i had a really good time with sculpting also and so that that totally that did fit yeah um what what drew you to animation as the thing you decided to put your focus on that's uh I feel like you have a certain love of, of animation, especially I feel like there's a lot of things that I know you 
are a fan of that has like stop motion involved with it. I was just thinking about how like you know Tim Burton's early movies mm-hmm. and like even like Ed Two Hundred Nine in mm-hmm. uh, RoboCop, yeah. and I know that you like like Spankmeyer and stuff. Like there's a lot of stuff that I feel like maybe was was that something that you kind of had a through you know recognize a through line from when you decided to do animation stuff in a way um i mean the uh Svenkmeyer stuff i got into in college right um, yeah because i wouldn't have known about i don't know early polish animation otherwise right um but it's not really but you know what <laughs> yeah, i mean uh yeah. anyway no, i also um, saw it for the first time in in art school yeah. classes unsurprisingly <laughs> which there's a lot of really good stuff um yeah. And, like, yeah, I I don't know, I'm still, there's still some stuff that I saw, like, in early animation classes in college that I'm like, I still, I just want to get my hands on that stuff, and there's just nowhere. Yeah. Um, like, you could, like, it exists on, like, 16 millimeter in, like, three art schools in the right. country or something, you know, <laughs> it's just like, well, I guess I can't have it. Um, but, like, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed animation, like, probably everyone as a child i'm not really sure what like what i don't remember anymore what really uh snapped me into it but i think i just i don't know something about being able to create these like subtleties of movement and it's 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 kind of like that like oh i can do this trick kind of thing it's sort of that feeling of like i understand how I now understand, you know, having whatever taken multiple classes or something. I now understand how you, how to like basically the concept of a flip book, you yeah. know, like stuff that I had never really done as a as a child. Um, but like, yeah, just the sort of magic of being like it's moving, right? <laughs> Which sounds really trite, yeah. but it's uh, nevertheless it was it was like it was very engaging. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think yeah, I think there's. There's that aspect of just the the fundamental, like you were saying, the fundamental trick of it, where there's that certain point probably when you first make an animation that really looks like it has motion to it, and you're like, oh, that's a thing. Yeah, that's like a, yeah. a sensation that exists in the world now Yeah, that is the result of this process that can kind of only happen this way, and it, I think that... Especially as a young person, as a student, kind of being like, oh, I made that thing happen is really powerful. Yeah, I think, yeah, it it felt like, I don't want to say more than the sum of its parts, because, like, honestly, the parts of animation are significant. Um, But, like, I I definitely remember that feeling of, like, oh, I can do this, where, which, like, I, I kind of feel like I never quite... I, I think I felt a little of that with stuff like printmaking. Mm-hmm. There was something a little bit surprising about having the ability to just reproduce things. Right. Um, which, you know, before I, like, had my own printer and stuff right. like that. <laughs> but it's not quite the same. You know, like, you know, the idea of just being like, I can make... Um, I can make this image and burn it into a screen, and I can put this on everything I own. Right, yeah. <laughs> Here I go. Yeah. You know, I can... And that's, like, really cool. It's just... It's kind of like... I don't know. It's um, it's a broadening, I guess, yeah. of of your. That's interesting. Did you ever make? Uh, did you ever have classes where you got to make um, like photo screens, like a screen from a photograph? Um, I've done that myself. Okay. I never did that in class. Yeah, because in I, like I had a weird the the high school I went to had a weirdly robust printmaking. That's amazing. Lab in it, including it had a dark room. 
mm-hmm. where you could project. You could expose you, the screen. You, yeah, you could. Yeah. Well, you, yeah, yeah. You could develop a photograph yourself mm-hmm. and then project it onto a screen to expose it and you know wash away the yeah. section, et cetera, et cetera. And that 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 feels like a similar one of those things where I'm like, okay, you took a camera, you actually developed it onto mm-hmm. paper, and then you did this weird process where now. Again, you can print that photo you took onto whatever with mm-hmm. this like gel screen that you made, and it's it, it's it's so. I think I mean, it's one of those things that I feel like is true of very many disciplines. I'm sure there are people that feel this way about like um, higher order math and stuff, but yeah. just that that there's a there's something that's empowering. I think about being like, oh wow, I just did this thing like that just seems like it's out in the world and you don't know how it gets there but i did the things that led to it and now i made this thing be here yeah it's it's interesting yeah that i guess that's probably the story of how it feels to create a thing but it's still cool yeah um yeah we also had a, a dark room when i was um in high school and i did an incredibly silly photo series with my best friend all over the uh um all over the school wearing a wearing a, a cape with a hood and it was just <laughs> so dumb and that it was very high school adorable <laughs> like i went back and found a couple of them and they're just so stupid and i so love good. them so much anyway it's funny it, it i'm now realizing how much it like feeds forward into us doing the thing at the end of gone home where there's the the photos that yeah. the girls have taken together and oh, developed for sure. in the No, we deliberately, the yeah. uh, I deliberately put some of that in. All the other thing that I, I was just thinking about that I um, put in there was the uh, the collage that um, that Sam had made of like all of the um, the like celebrities and whatnot. Because yeah. like yeah, me and my best friend used to do that. Yeah. In high school, we would make each other collages with like messages and stuff, and it was really fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was just looking through a magazine today and being like. Just looking at like good little images, and I'm like, I could use that in a collage. I'm like, since when do I make collages? It's been a long time. Never too late to get back into it. It might be too late to get back oh, into well, it. Maybe not. I mean, you made you, you even made that uh, that goals collage. Oh my for god, Tacoma yes, that's as recently true. as You're right. a couple of years ago. Now that's a good point. That is a. I mean, it keeps being useful. Yeah, I'm gonna cough. <coughs> Carla has a cough. We it's apologize. Disgusting. Um, Carla, unfortunately, uh, traveled the world and brought sickness back with her, so... Yep, I brought the plague with me, like a rat. (laughs) (laughs) What are other ways in which you're like a rat, Carla? Um, I like to gnaw on things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I have disgusting little fingernails. Oh. Actually, they're cute. Uh, I have a a horrible tail. Um, Oh, I've never noticed. That's interesting. Yeah, well, you know. Okay. I I guess I don't know as much about you as I thought. Well... Was born with a tail. <laughs> so, uh, so, so you, you and your little tail went to uh, animation school in yeah in Providence, Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I visited Providence when Rachel and I lived in um, the Boston area. I, mm-hmm. We just went there for like a day or something. But it seemed like a funny little town. Oh yeah, it's yeah. totally. Um, I mean, it was like my first experience with like living in a place that was functional and like right. larger than a suburb so yeah. like you and know. not in your parents house and so yeah forth. so yeah. like you know it was uh it was definitely uh important for me yeah it was it was a it was a fun time but yeah. i also i i probably would have had a fun time at to, to some extent at any college right, <laughs> right. yeah yeah being away from home for the first time is 
usually a memorable uh, experience. <laughs> for, I think. That was, like, the most diffident, like, <laughs> unnecessarily diffident sentence. <laughs> you might remember it when you leave home at first. I love this. I'm just trying to be accommodating, you know. Go ahead. Um, so, so yeah, you, so you did... You did undergrad. Did, does that mean you ended up with like a BFA? Yeah, I have a cool. bachelor's of fine arts in nice. animation. Nice. My, I, when I finished at Portland State, they did not offer the F in the BFA, so I have simply a BA. It's hell. I think they might have gotten one since then. They might have gotten accredited for mm. fine arts. I just have normal <laughs> bachelor of normal arts. Because <laughs> like, since when is animation a fine art? I guess that's the other question. Yeah, I don't know. Some of it probably. No, I mean, just kind of like, you know, what's all fine art? Right, you think right. of it as being like, oh, you're a painter. Right, yeah. Oh, you do, uh, yeah. So, like, I guess, yeah, I think that, I guess most people would consider fine art to be most naturally associated with, like, gallery yeah. work or whatever. Yeah, which yeah. can be a lot of things, yeah. but still. Yeah. Would you, <laughs> would you consider Dr. Katz to be fine art? Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know what I consider to be fine Because <laughs> that was a... So, at, did you go straight from getting your animation degree to working in, in television animation? Uh, I went to... I interned at um, a place called um, Olive Jar, which doesn't exist anymore, mm. but used to be a, a small, chiefly stop motion, but had a certain amount of um, hand-drawn 2D... Um, work that they did that was in uh the boston area mm. um and i interned there for a while and worked there officially for a while after like you know for pay yeah. um after that um but i worked on uh, they used to do um things like uh mtv bumpers oh, okay. and like they did the there's like some really gross like stop motion mtv uh um yeah, bumpers that they did with, like, you know, the logo being um, clearly formed out of, like, rubber and being horrible in nice. general. It's good stuff. Yeah. Um, some, some they I'd... also, importantly, they did the um, Nightmare Before Christmas parody segment in The Critic. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow, that's funny. And it was really good. Like, they did a great job wow, with so that. Wow, so there was a sec... I, I don't even remember. So there was a section of an episode of The Critic where they had stop motion mm -hmm. be the yep. the Nightmare Before Christmas parody. That's amazing. I don't yeah. remember that. Uh, it's great. It's Hanukkah Town. <laughs> <laughs> because The Critic. Right. Uh, it's wonderful, and... Um, I watched a lot yeah. of The Critic, um, like, on, like, Comedy Central mm -hmm. when, uh, probably, I guess... Presumably, shortly after it was on network television. Um, yeah. So I, I've seen a, I've, I've seen a lot of it, but presumably only whichever episodes they actually like paid for. I don't actually so maybe know. there are some episodes of the critic that I have not been exposed to because Comedy Central didn't buy them. I feel like there weren't that many to begin with, but maybe it was I'm only incorrect. a couple of seasons, right? I was because uh, because I tend to. Um not have my entire uh, work history in my in memory at one time um i actually was like what is it do i have an old i found an old resume um in preparation for this that was from uh 2007 and it was just funny to like click on it and be like yeah this was last modified nine years ago <laughs> um and uh but firstly um 
but the point I was going to make was that I credited myself as having worked on uh, Dr. Katz, but I wrote the Comedy Central show Dr. Katz, oh. <laughs> uh, presumably to give additional uh, recognition points right. so that people would want to hire me. But, a little bit more of that um, uh, cred. Yeah. But it's starting to seem like Comedy Central is uh, very important for animation. Yeah. Once upon a time. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. So, so what were you doing at, at Olive Jar when you started out? Um, I was, like, helping out and doing, um, doing kind of, like, PA things, um, when I was an intern, um, just kind of helping the animators and, um, you know, fetching carrying and, like, you know, holding stuff and adjusting <laughs> the camera and, like, yeah. you know, that kind of things. So, um, cool. get, getting apple crates, <laughs> um, moving them around. Um, was it the kind of thing where you felt like you, um you know, gained, like, oh, yeah. useful knowledge from being involved in all those bits and pieces of oh, the production. Sure. Yeah, cool. totally. Um, and I, and I got to, like, I got to help out with little bits here and there, and, like, there's, there's always, there's always useful stuff in yeah. there. Um, just from, even just from being around the people who do that stuff for a living, it's, yeah. it's a good idea. Um, I, that, I felt like that's how I feel about the year that I did um, QA internal to a mm-hmm. development studio in San Francisco was like, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, it's, you know, QA is QA. It's the thing that you actually do, but also through QA, you're kind of exposed to all the other mm-hmm. parts of how the game gets made and also the process of it. So you're like, oh, it looks like this at this point, And then you do this kind of thing. Right. And so even if you're not directly involved or very rarely directly involved, I think that when you're starting out, just like having a reason to actually touch a bunch of the parts of the process is super valuable yeah absolutely yeah um yeah i totally um one of my uh teachers um from school was working at all jar because the scene was small in boston it (laughs) turns out in new england um and yeah he was he was the one who um like yeah helped me get the internship and whatnot and it was cool just to kind of follow him around all day because he did a lot of like set building and uh and lighting and whatnot and he taught um like early intro to special effects and i was his ta for um a couple of semesters um and i also ta'd for animation one and animation two i don't know a couple other things um so i did a lot of um ta'ing was really fun actually yeah um, yeah, it was, it's cool to, um, it's cool to try to help teach college kids. I think, I kind of feel like there's, I'm not a great teacher, really, mm. but, um, I like to help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's cool to be like, I'm available for, you know, to help people figure stuff out. Like, yeah. that is, that is a cool, um, position to be in, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Well, lucky you, you're still in it. Lucky me. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. We do a lot of helping each other figure out what the hell we're doing, I think. That's a good point. Um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned that you felt like the most valuable part of your art school experience was um, learning to be involved in critique. Yeah. And I feel like maybe the flip side of that, like doing TA stuff, would be another... like. Yeah. Super helpful kind of like scaffolding to that because mm-hmm. one side of it is 
so for people that that haven't you know done this stuff in art class or whatever um i agree that i think the most valuable part of art school is going through the criti- the critique process which is generally that the students do you know a, a round of work whether mm-hmm. it's you know a round of figure drawing or you know you turn in or something a round more long term or yeah. something and then yeah you kind of go through each person's project and you as the person who made it has to kind of you know, say what you're trying to yeah. do with it or justify it or explain it. And some, you know, you're sort of like, here's what my work is. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, not if it's yeah. a figure, figure drawing, right? Well, Generally, and also but... not if everyone's doing the same project, you sure. know, but like it, it is, but yeah, good point. Yeah. So it, gen- often there's some version of like, okay, present your thing and tell mm-hmm. us about it. And now the people in the class are mm-hmm. going to respond by saying like, well, I think this part doesn't really make sense to me or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, saying positive or critical or mm-hmm. just sort of observations or whatever. And there's, there's a discussion that goes between the group, you mm-hmm. know, best case scenario, uh, people say interesting things about your work <laughs> and you learn how you could think better about it in the future. Worst case, people have super unhelpful comments that you can't really do anything with. But both of those are really good learning experiences. They are, yeah. You're like, how do I deal with, how do I incorporate good feedback? How do I deal with bad feedback? Mm-hmm. And not just bad in terms of, like, I don't like it, but bad in terms of, like, the feedback is actually useful. poorly formed. Yeah. And you have to be like, well, what, do I ignore it? Can I get something out of this? Right. That kind of critical thinking stuff is super Oh, it's super important. Is. I think especially when you go into a field like design, I mean, any working any, I feel like almost any discipline in a game studio benefits from that because you're working as a team yeah and you have to be like if you're on the animation team presumably you have to be like i don't really know if this animation that you're working on is yeah. supporting what we're trying to do and here's why and you know yep. vice versa um and so i feel like yeah being a ta and having to kind of understand what you're trying to get the students to understand and mm-hmm. how to help get them there is like also a useful part of that like thinking about how you're doing and what you're doing and how to communicate about it thing. yeah there's super that's super hammer tone for me just the whole like the best way to learn is to teach kind of thing yeah. which is just like really strong it's you really the minute you try to explain something to someone you sure will find out your the gaps in your right. understanding uh so yeah get on that but like yeah i think that uh yeah funnily they they are sort of like parts of each other or i don't know flip sides or something because the whole one of the more important lessons for when you're starting out with being critiqued is shut up yeah <laughs> like don't respond to every little thing that people are saying even if it like you're not even gonna be like thanks okay thanks like don't even do that like just shut up let them let them have their say let the person talk about the thing in their experience it's not personal let them talk about it and like that is a thing that um it's not easy to learn because like usually you know you make a thing you know, in your house, you ask people for feedback, you expect it to be sort of a little bit of a, you know, dialogue, or you feel you need to explain yourself because you're still maturing as an artist and you don't know how to, like, strive for clarity or you were unsuccessful and now you want to explain how you're actually successful. Yeah, actually you're not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's the the biggest impulse that is super, is completely, like, a natural thing. Oh, it's normal. But really hard to get over to. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like my biggest takeaways from 
critique that the transfer into like design discussions or reviewing your design work that you've put on screen or whatever is sort of like if somebody is like you know saying something that that isn't working for them and you understand what they're saying and you understand like how maybe you could improve on it's just kind of be like you know like be like okay you know like just you know like learning to accept it without yeah. trying to talk to them about why it actually already works well mm-hmm. is one impulse to get over yeah. and the other is just like if you are going to engage the most useful thing is to just try to get clarity from people mm-hmm. i feel like that's one of the hardest things is when somebody especially if they're not really necessarily phrasing things in like totally good faith if somebody is just like you know oh i think the yeah, the technique in your painting mm-hmm. is kind of crappy or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, well... What does that mean? Yeah, like, all you want to do is be like, yeah. well, why is it... What is crappy about it? You mm-hmm. know, because maybe you can get to the point where they're like, well, the strokes are really dry and they don't... You know, and you're like, oh, okay, so I can actually get something out of this. Because mm-hmm. um, you are going to encounter people who do not know yep. <laughs> how to yep. give you good information, even though they yep. might have it. Um, so, yeah. Totally. The other the other important thing, and I discovered this in a... Or I ran into this in a different context recently, Um when it comes to, like, people talking about, you know, media or what have you in their own experiences, is that um, people... It's really easy. It's really easy to fall into, well, you're just not engaging with that right. Um, yeah. As a excuse, as an excuse for the person not enjoying the work right. or not connecting with it or, you know, not being into it in some way. Yeah. And it's really easy to just be like well, you should have done this, or you should do this, or why aren't you doing this, yeah. or et cetera, et cetera. Why are you thinking of it that way? And it's just kind of like, oh, buddy, that is not their job yeah. to I mean, adjust their perception yeah, to it's, fit you. It's the whole, like, you're not playing it right yeah, thing. Yeah, it absolutely is, yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay, well, whose fault is it that they're not playing it right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. We, we had that a little bit. I mean, we've had this. Ex- so I think that something that comes from our kind of shared, you know, art school experience is, and also from best practices that we took from, like, 2K Marin Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably really 2K Marin at this point, but yeah. And I think it's a little of both, is just that we want to take, we, at at Fulbright, we do a lot of taking builds to people that we know, either friends and family or people in the industry who are kind of used to seeing games that aren't finished yet, and and getting their feedback Mm -hmm. on it, and I remember distinctly near the end of Tacoma's development when you said, you know, you can you can respond to certain people being like, well, you're just not engaging with it, you're just not playing it right. Um, we had people who wanted to be engaged and, like, were enthusiastic playtesters, but their feedback was like, I really felt, you know, for instance, like, I really felt like there was no build-up to the ending and it wasn't satisfying to me. And then we kind of drilled down to, like, why is that? And they were like, well... I only read the first couple of, like, AR desktops that characters have, and then I was like, I guess these aren't really important, so I'll just skip them. Mm -hmm. And we were like, okay, so... We're teaching people to not read the desktops. Right. Where's all the information in our game? (laughs) The desktops. Yeah. Frig. Yeah, all the stuff that supports the kind of front story. And we were like, okay, so A, we need to do a pass on the early desktops of putting, like, stuff in them that seems really Mm -hmm. valuable. And then B, we need to do systems work to expose to players 
where they are and how to find them and imply that maybe they should. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, if you do write somebody off, they're like, well, they just never read any of this stuff. Fuck right. Them. Then that's not going to make your game better. Doesn't but if help. you can say, you know, maybe if there was a way for us to expose that to people and, like, give them a way in so right. they can have a better experience. And, and it is part of that whole thing of just, like, trying to get something out of the feedback and not just yep. dismiss it because, like, well, the person giving the feedback is wrong. Right. you gotta you got to actively bring people in, like, in whatever you're doing. And, like, you can watch for this in out in the media world, too. Like, this is all, you know, outside of games constantly is, like, people are like, yeah, I don't know, this movie didn't work for me. Like, well, well, you didn't go into that with the correct expectations, you right. know, or whatever. And it's like, no, that's not a good argument. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, and, and then sometimes, you know, like, I guess I shouldn't say sometimes, often you get to a point where it's like, I did have all the tools to engage with mm-hmm. this, and I still didn't enjoy it. Yeah. And that's fine. But, you know, there's like a difference there between a difference. am I bringing this to people yeah. to discover whether they like it, or yeah. am I kind of like letting people you know, miss their connection right. they could have had with it. You know? Right, and there's that whole skill that's kind of like, I don't know, critique by proxy, where you're trying to, like, give the correct questions such that you can get a critique that is meaningful, yeah. like, to your work, you know, yeah. kind of thing that I feel like we have um, spent a lot of time learning how to do. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's funny. Um, So, after you were working at Olajar for a while... Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I was there for a while, and then, um, I went, what? You worked on Dr. Katz. Yes, I did. I, 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 I love this part of your backstory, because Dr. Katz is great. It had squiggle vision. Yeah. And you made the squigglies. I did. <laughs> I, part of your job was to squiggle it up. It's actually just completely true. Yeah, I did. The, I mean, you um, didn't invent squiggle vision, but you were I tasked didn't. with uh, implementing it in the scenes you were on. It would have on. been hard for me to, to invent it. That was somewhat, it was a little before I got there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, totally. Um, yeah, squiggle vision um, is straight up just uh, wiggle holds or boiling, uh, depending on, I don't know, there uh, aren't a lot of good terms I've never for heard it. that second one. Makes sense. Apparently that's more common, huh. um, but, like, I don't know. We There's a lot of, like, either super internal or just stuff that nobody really... Right. Um, but it's means, the idea of, like, but, in animation, yes. you don't want to have characters that are just totally dead yeah. still. So, right, you're, you're animating something, and if you want it to... You want the character to, like, you know, wait and hold a, a pose for a time, the... One of the ways to do that is just keep reusing the same frame, like keep photographing the same frame for however long you know you need it to be there. However, what that results in is a total cessation of any motion. So, in order to keep the the um, the motion from quote unquote dying, uh, one of the techniques is to trace over that drawing a few different times and rephotograph those in cycle so that it continues to pulse a little bit yeah. as um, as it still stays in approximately the same position. Yeah. Um, and that keeps it just keeps a little life in it. You know, it's it's generally regarded as a good practice when it comes to certain kinds of animation. Yeah. Um, and yeah, stuff like Dr. Katz uh, super needed that because it was low res as heck and it was any life that could be uh, kept in it was a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there were a lot of reused um, cycles and, and holds and stuff. So yeah. it was, it was super necessary. Um, the aspect ratio, by the way, um, was, I believe, Oh no, I hope I can remember this. I believe it was, it was some really weird thing. Like 
240 by like 100 or something <laughs> like it had just like this madness aspect ratio and so the pixels were not square yeah. they were stretched um significantly and so yeah we would work on files that were um that were a lot more square huh. in aspect ratio and then it was uh stretched into um really uh yeah the, so it, the huh. four by three um wow. aspect ratio huh so the working files like were narrower were, yeah they, they yeah they, literally the work you did looked less wide than what would air on television yes i huh. believe that's correct actually it might be the opposite of that okay. no i can't remember but regardless Ugh. like, like anyway. animating a thing that looks like this and then knowing that when it ships it's just gonna I be like like squished anyway. or stretched yeah i mean at that time it probably was four by three was the target yeah, like aspect yeah. ratio so that that was the target i'm yeah. trying to remember whether it was long you know, and skinny or right. tall and skinny i can't remember I'm, i i think i like, can anyway whatever my, my arbitrary guess would be that it would make sense if you were working closer to like one by one and then they stretched it to four by three you slightly, might be right but... i've forgotten i have a few files from the time that i put on a zip disk <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Not even kidding. Um, and but I haven't looked at them in a little while, so yeah, yeah. I, I've now forgotten. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, it was you, a silly time. It yeah, was good. How did you end up? You were, you were doing character animation yeah. for the show. How did you end up being an animator on Doctor Cats? Was that in Boston as well? Yeah, it was. Okay. In, yeah, that was in um, Watertown. Mm. Um, yeah, a and. It was called Tom Snyder Productions at the time. Now it is Soup to Nuts. Mm -hmm. I think it's still in the area. Um, but, like, yeah, I mean, the scene was not very big. There yeah, weren't really yeah. very many places to be an animator in New England yeah. at the time. And I I think that... Um, I, di I didn't know anyone there. I think that someone brought my attention to, like, the fact that they had an, had openings yeah, yeah um and i was like i guess i guess i'll try this <laughs> and basically like people there were like oh yes we know of that animation studio like across town right so yeah. it seems fine <laughs> um yeah so was that kind of like a step up for you from being a yeah, generalist I guess, yeah. to being a, like an animator animator on I don't, that yeah i don't show? know whether it was a step up i mean it was um it was it was an interesting change. Um, I guess I just mean like guess, in responsibilities. Oh, of. uh, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. Okay. Um, although, like, uh, so I'd I'd been working on um at Olive Jar. We also had a um, they they did ads mm, and mm -hmm. um, uh, and other. They would occasionally try to do like a pilot or something that they would um try to get picked up. I think there's there might have been something MTV based that. They actually got out, and I can't remember what it was, but okay. um, but yeah. So I I worked a little on um some of those things. So I actually like you know had some being a regular character animator time in yeah. on that, um, and so yeah, it was kind of a weird change because it it was not I don't know the I feel like the responsibility level didn't super change until uh, until some time had gone by sure. like there was um really i i just uh you know they would give me scenes and you know i would uh get get the characters into their little outfits yeah <laughs> and uh um make sure they did the required 
actions uh, put the backgrounds on. Like there's there's a lot of things that were just mechanical, yeah, like sure. any other production. Yeah. Um, but uh, there got to be some points later where I got to actually like pitch some uh, sequences, and I got to I got to do a, a number of. Um, scenes in uh, the second Mitch Hedberg episode, uh, which was a really good time because I did a lot of fun stuff on that one. And then there was one later that me and this other animator, Howard, um, we just for some reason were left alone on that one. <laughs> and it was it was one that had pigeons. Um, and we just kind of like, we were like, we just made up new outfits and like, we were going nuts. We, Mom we, and dad weren't around to stop you. Yeah, no, exactly. We, we were, uh, we, and we absolutely referred to costume changes as quote unquote little outfits. It was good. Because, um, I mean, I can imagine how it would feel like you're kind of like dressing up little paper dolls. You straight or something. up are. Yeah. Like, there's, they're little paper dolls that have different angles that they have to be wearing the same, visibly the same, you know, outfits in. Yeah. And so it was a lot of like, yeah, it was very. I guess, for, cute. I guess for those that aren't totally aware, we might as well mention mm-hmm. that, yeah, Dr. Katz was... Oh, yeah. It, it, yeah, it, it was it was native to Comedy Central? Like, Comedy Central? I believe so. Okay. And, yeah, it was this comedian... What is, what Jonathan is Doc- Jonathan Katz. Jonathan um, um And he's still around. Yeah. He has, uh, he had some sort of, um... He, he had some sort of uh, resurgence relatively recently. I can't yeah. remember what the deal was. Yeah, but it was a... Yeah, it was it him was and in, John Benjamin. Right. Uh, and a just, bunch of stand-up comedians. Yes. So yeah. he and John Benjamin would like have had like sort of a John Benjamin was the, was his son, and they sort of had a, a base uh, relationship, and they would like whatever each episode they would have some theme that they'd be talking about, and then it would cut to um, Doctor Katz going to work where he was a therapist, and his patients would be comedians. There'd usually be two per episode, yeah. uh, and they would just, you know, come up with excuses to do their bits yeah. on a pretend therapy couch. Right, yeah. And and this was like late nineties, mm-hmm. right? So it was like Mitch Hedberg and like uh, oh, I remember um, that like um, that Todd guy and right. What the heck was his last uh, name? Janine Garofalo was on. She one, was yeah. And Winona Ryder was on once, which was funny. <laughs> um, which had nothing to do with anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of that. Dennis Leary was on once. Right. Um, let's see. Yeah. Uh, Conan O'Brien was on. Oh right, um, I remember that. Like, and that was early. Uh, so that seems like it must have been a weird, fun, interesting job yeah, where it's just sort of like animate this sort of simplified caricature of yep. Mitch Hedberg or whoever, you know, to the audio of them doing their bit, you know? Oh, everything. yeah, it was, yeah. It was funny. Uh, yeah, it was it was an interesting time. We never really got to meet any of them. Jonathan Katz came by once or twice, oh, yeah. but that was, that was it. We didn't yeah. really get to, like, hang out with the comedians, which is sad. Yeah. But they would send us headshots and we would, like, do the... <laughs> Do the images of them. I wonder from if their like if their agent or manager or whatever had to give approval for how the studio did the drawing of them. Like, I don't know. like that's an acceptable depiction of my client. I <laughs> wonder. I I think like my boss, uh, Kate, um, uh, Annette, Annette LeBlanc, Kate mm. was her name. Um, wow, it's been a long time yeah. since I thought of that lady's name. <laughs> um, anyway, she um, I think she tried really hard to hit that kind of flattering but recognizable like note uh yeah. so i i'm not sure whether whether they ever really got pushed back because yeah. i think she was just really good at getting 
the comedians into that universe without yeah. making them look like weirdos. Right, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. she did huh. a good job with it. And then you also, then you went on to, you worked on like the first season of Home Movies, right? Which yes. was also by yeah. that studio. Yeah. Yes, that was, um, so that was an interesting one because they rezzed up and the aspect ratio was normal. Um, <laughs> but, and so that, and that was a they lot of like, fun. They were like, maybe we should stop being super weird for no reason. <laughs> uh, but they didn't. Um, <laughs> Neither did you. <laughs> accurate. Um, but like, yeah, that was interesting also because we, I think, uh, it was determined that actually tracing the characters, uh, was too much of a pain in the butt. So they actually had a macro that in, in Animator Pro, uh, which was, um, very, I think it was early Autodesk product. Um, you could, yeah, just have a macro to like within bounds, uh, randomly move the selected pixels like you know uh, every frame and so auto squiggle the outlines yes and it was kind of weird results and i think actually in the um second season they moved to flash and then but they ended up re-squiggling uh by hand i believe Mm. but since it was that particular era of flash they kind of had that smooth aspect to it which was a little i don't know they were trying to keep up with the tag it was it was nice but home movies was fun because it had a lot more animation animation sure um it had like you know you someone would do a gesture and it would it would be like eight frames instead of (laughs) two frames etc so it felt like I was like, oh, thank God, you know, actual <laughs> animation, geez, you know. Well, because that was a Cartoon Network show, right? Uh, so they were probably, I think it was like an Adult Swim. I think it was an early Adult Swim. I thing? guess it. I mean, I I, I, I say this as yeah. a viewer. I remember You're when I was right. watching it. But um, yeah, maybe Cartoon Network cared a little bit more about the cartoon part than Comedy Central did. I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure what drove it. Yeah. But it's, it is so funny for me to, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sort of a... Uh, I guess unsurprisingly sort of a nostalgic person in general, but sometimes I think about the weird overlaps of like, you know, I was watching Dr. Katz in high school and home movies in college mm-hmm. and we've worked together for years and you were like actually animating parts That's of funny. those things I was watching, you know, on fucking CRT televisions <laughs> uh, 15 plus years ago or whatever. It's pretty it's, weird. It's a strange world. Because I have very distinct memories, like, I watched home movies a lot when I first moved to Oregon, and Mm. my wife Rachel and I were living together in our first, like, college apartment that we had together, and I'm just like, oh yeah, I remember being in that room watching home movies. (laughs) I guess Carla was animating some of that, because it was the part that still had squiggle vision. (laughs) So yeah, it's a weird world, man. It is a weird world. So how did you go from television animation to... Because you, you started in games as a game anima- as a yeah. 3D animator for games, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I went from uh, yeah home movies to uh, Turbine, um, which was also in Massachusetts. Once again, yeah, it's just there. There isn't. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's near. Small. Yeah, basically yes. Uh, there were there were not a lot of choices back then. Uh, there may not be now, but here we are. Yeah, um, I think I think Boston still feels like it's like kind of three studios or four that you might be able to get a job at. I think so, uh, but yeah, at the time, um, my college boyfriend uh, had gone to work at Turbine, and he was, I believe, he was also animating. Um, and he was like, we need animators. And I was like, I don't know how to animate in 
3D, except, I mean, like, because I knew how to do stop motion, but it's just not the same thing. Yeah. Um, well, it's, there's a big stack of learning just to understand the software to there do 3D animation on top of everything else, right? There is also that. Um, and so I was, just, I was just kind of like, what? You know, these concepts don't transfer. Um, and he was like, ah, just, you know, just learn it and do some demo animations. And yeah. so I shrugged and uh, <laughs> uh, got Lightwave 3D and did some uh, just kind of like cycles with... He actually gave me models because they had a uh, project that had been canceled. Uh. And uh, since I didn't like... I was just kind of like, how do I start? Right. Um, like, do you... Like, you're like, am I going to model and rig right. and then animate a Exactly. Thing? Yeah. And I wasn't because I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. <laughs> and I, there wasn't... I don't know. The internet was not the same thing. Right. At that time period. Uh, and so, yeah, I used those, um, these weird little bug creatures uh, mm. and did some... Sounds right up your alley. Some cycles. Yeah, they were cute. <laughs> did a whole bunch of different... Um, uh, yeah, th- there's a lot of fun stuff. I, that was my first experience doing, like, like idols and attacks and uh, just kind of trying to keep them, like, bouncy while as always, like, returning to the exact same frame, you know, right. so that they cycled properly, and it was, it was it was a fun experience, and they, for some reason, hired me, and <laughs> so I worked on... They liked your bugs. They did like my bugs. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I worked on Asheron's Call 1, Continuing Content, which was what they called um, continuing to make um, different missions for, like, to keep people amused because it was, yeah. you know, Adding an MMO that, yeah, so forth, yeah, exactly. So I did a lot of, uh, incidental monsters. There was sort of a jellyfish thing Ooh. and there was like a couple of vague humanoids and just did, <laughs> did a lot of like, I had to figure out how the jellyfish would attack you and whatnot. And they were all like, <laughs> these things were like 200 polys. Right. Like they yeah. were, you know, it was the time. Because call was like a pre-World of Warcraft. It was like a. It was, it was like a, a first rev. Yeah, like MMO. A, an EverQuest mm-hmm. contemporary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this was the era when there was like deformation was not a thing mm. in like rigging, really. Yeah. And so you basically had to have interpenetrating. Uh, chunks of geometry for oh. body parts. Huh. So, like, the upper part and lower part of an arm would just be two separate I see. Um, okay. closed, uh, you know, cylinder things, and, and they, they would just, just interpenetrate yeah. at the elbow, <laughs> because, like, what else yeah. were you gonna do? Yeah, no, I feel and, like that's, you know, my... When I'm thinking about this now, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess that's how the characters in, like, the original Tomb Raider yeah. and, like, Final Fantasy VII and stuff I mean, then, like, been, yeah. uh, you know, Grim Fandango and, sure, yeah, like, all right. kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, Which makes sense that they would make a bunch of skeletons <laughs> for Grim Fandango. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess they had the big cat boy. He was no skeleton. That's true. He was absolutely not. Glottis was not a skeleton. <laughs> um, I really like... That's... Uh, Grim Fandango is one of my all-time favorite video games. Yeah. It's great. It is. I think it is the second video game that I bought with my own money. Oh, really? The first being Neverhood. Oh, yeah. Which, yeah, Neverhood, a very animation-focused yeah, game. Super, it was all, uh, yeah, super. All stop-motion, like, clay and mm-hmm. physical objects. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cute. Yeah, it's very... Too bad about Doug Tenenbaum. Yeah, too bad about... <laughs> about also trying to actually play that game in some cases. But oh. it was cool-looking. 
I haven't gone back to it in some years. I, I think that I didn't play it until long after it had been released. I no, think I, I just remember seeing it in, like, PC Gamer Magazine mm-hmm. or whatever and being like, that looks crazy. Because I also... Yeah, I, I think I similarly was drawn to stuff like that. Like, I think I rented Clay Fighter for the SNES from Blockbuster because it was all, like, clay yeah. models that they yeah. did the animations with and stuff. I mean, that physicality being incorporated in games, I think, felt really unique, especially then. For sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was definitely a really interesting way to get that sort of 3D aspect before 3D looked like anything much. Well, because people were doing things with, like, photo source stuff, Mm -hmm. like Mortal Kombat or, like, FMV games or whatever. Totally. But, like, stop motion and physical materials felt like a very different, specific thing. Yeah, I think that, um, I think that even some stuff that isn't as obvious, um, had origins like that. Like, I seem to recall that, um, Doom? Quake. No, it would have been Doom, yeah. Doom. Doom, Doom they... Yeah, they, they had maquettes. Yeah, and yeah. I think they actually... I think those actually were or initially animated as, like, posed frames, and then they drew the pixel I art over so. them, I think. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. No, totally. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, there's there was some stuff there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yeah, it was people just trying to, like, struggling with the medium right. and trying to... <laughs> Trying to make it look as cool as they possibly could. Yeah. Uh, which is funny. So how long were you animating Asheron's calls for? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, a time. Yeah. I, however long that went on, I don't yeah. know. It was probably a year or yeah. something. Kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. usually normal amount. Um, yeah. I can check my resume. You know? <laughs> well, what do you remember about kind of like... Because that would, that would have been your first, you know, game development yep. studio experience. Yeah, it was... Um, it was weird. Uh, it was my yeah. It was my first exposure to um, yeah working. I mean, like I'd never worked with designers before. I'd never worked with programmers. Yeah. Um, and like yeah, I I didn't have like the most contact with them because I was an animator. But like I was around them, and um, I was around uh, one of the designers because he was uh, one of our roommates. Um, oh, okay. Uh, Toby. Um, and. It was, yeah, it, it was funny just because back then being a designer was super, like, quest design, and quest design was super lore. Right. <laughs> just write, yeah. the, write the dialogue. Right. And, write you know, how did this... that you find. <laughs> right. What, what happened here? What, what led to this? What, like, you know, what factions are doing things that make you have to do this quest? Yeah. Um, and, it, yeah, it was just, it was definitely kind of a different time. Um, but I met my first lady programmers mm. there. Uh, they, they had, um, at least one, I think they had two actually. And one, yeah, I don't remember. One of them, uh, called herself K80, like, uh, right. right. Like a K. Presumably then... you're supposed to say Katie, but right. it was, yeah. And K80. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Which I... is extremely like, uh, yeah. like, like nineties handle, like a hundred percent. That is what somebody would have their, their handle be in like hackers, the movie. Yes. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, no, it was great. It's actually awesome. There was a guy who was, God, what was he? I think he might've been a, a writer or a designer or something. Um, and he wore like toppy boots in the nineties. Wow. So he was, those are he, the one, those he owned ones katanas. Are like, yeah. They have the little like, yeah, thing between yeah. the two toes, like a, like a ninja sock. Yes. Yes. He was, 
Amazing. He was definitely one of those people. Um, yeah, it was it was hilarious. That's they had snacks. Yeah. They had free snacks. Mm. Like that was amazing back then. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, I feel like it it has some kind of tonal overlap with the first place that I worked as a designer, which was TimeGate Studios in outside of uh, Houston, Texas, Time and. Gate. Yeah, I've still got the pint glass that says TimeGate on it. Speaking of 90s. <laughs> yeah, and their their logo, the A in the logo, has a little grandfather clock uh, uh, pendulum in it. Very good. Um, but, yeah, I felt like when I worked there, they were... It was a very endearing place to work because it felt to me like it was just one step backwards in time from the era I was actually working. Like, it just felt like a very old-school kind of place. Just, like, the kinds of people that work there, they were just very, like, the programmers were, like, yes. programmery. Yes. Like, yeah, and, and the, the, you know, they weren't super advanced with kind of the, the techniques they were using. There was a lot of big old CRT monitors and yeah. stuff. And I just felt like, I was like, man, I feel lucky because I feel like I'm working in one era earlier than a lot that's of people are in a way that's had a kind of like a cool almost like time machine kind of feeling to it huh. where i'm like i feel like this is what developing pc games was like <laughs> when they were making the ones that i played when i was growing up and i feel huh. like working like at turbine yeah. on asheron's call in like the early 2000s was probably like that actual thing just a bunch of weirdos sure. yeah. making stuff with like weird bespoke software that's for, funny. you know, this audience that is very much into the thing specifically that is being made. You know, like, MMO players, I feel like, in the early 2000s is very different than, like, the post-WoW world. It's very true. You know? Yeah, I mean, we also had, like, the super old-school programmers, I believe, that were, uh... That, that generally seemed to be nice people, but, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, just that kind of, like... Oh, man, just that image. That, like, really long hair, beard, yep. like... Um, t-shirt with dragon on it. Yep. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, like the like there was you know I've I've read or I guess worked with various people that like worked at like Looking Glass and stuff. Yes. And they would just be like, so we were those bunch- were the same people. Yeah. <laughs> it's like okay, so we you know we were we were all the guys with the the you know wire rim glasses and the really long hair, and we would just be working on you know whatever our flight simulator game yeah. until two in the morning, and we would just like have a giant pile of McDonald's fries that had been mm-hmm. sitting in the middle of the table since that night, and that's just what we ate to keep going. Yeah, it's and totally like, true. You know, we would, like, that would totally be that stuff at TimeGate, where it would just be like, so here's 500 Chicken McNuggets. Everybody go to town, yep. <laughs> you know? I'm just like, this is amazing. It's absolutely true. The one, there's this guy that, that I really liked working with who actually, he was one of my first experiences I had with like a gameplay programmer who was really good with working with designers because he kind of got what we were going for and then like would offer kind of like you know systemic solutions to fix some kind of problem with yeah. the, you know like I just remember there was this time that we were got so I was working on a fear expansion and there was like a lightning gun that had been introduced in the expansion and uh, and the idea of the lightning gun was that it would like home in on targets that were kind of in your general view thrust them because mm-hmm. it was like an electric arc would go to them. Oh, okay. And there was this moment I remember that uh, uh, a 
an enemy popped up from behind cover and I aimed like a perfect headshot at him, but because of how the code worked, the homing beam went to his center of mass. Uh, so it hit the cover. <laughs> and I told it. the guy and he was like, oh, that totally makes sense. I can put in code where it's like, if you're closer to the head, it'll home to the head. You know, and then like, just like having that dialogue of working with somebody on the code side to be yeah. like, I understand what you're saying. I understand why the code we have doesn't work. I know what I can do to do it. And we'll just like collaborate on this together was cool but he was like just a, a sweet dude and he had like a beard and i just remember one morning i was the one in the break room who made the coffee and mm-hmm. i think i just made it really strong because i really didn't know how to make coffee so yeah. i think i put a lot of grounds in i just remember he came he, he came and got some went back to his desk and then he came back into the break room with his coffee coffee and he was like who made the coffee today i was like i did he's like that's a hearty brew <laughs> like super approvingly <laughs> <laughs> so anyway god um, bless that guy that's wonderful um but yeah uh yeah totally it sounds like it was a pretty 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 good early experience yeah, just like working right. with people that were pretty uh pretty cool to work with on what you guys were doing it was all right there was definitely some there were some nice cool people um some people were a little weird but sure yeah, you know, that's, that's that's what happens. It's hard not to work somewhere that has at least one or two people who are a little weird. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I don't, I don't mean, yeah. Not good weird, necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the best weird, yeah. shall we say. But Did you get to life. have a lot of, like, getting to see your animations in the live game? Like, playing Asheron's Call and encountering your <sighs> creatures and whatnot? Not super much. I, I didn't, like... I didn't really love playing it that much. I liked it okay. Well, and it was a, it's kind of a long it road is. at that yeah. point. I mean, I'm sure you could jump into like a debug space and check it out or whatever yeah. internally, but like leveling up to the point yeah. where you could encounter your whatever wyvern or something Pretty that you made much, yeah. <laughs> would be a lot. And there wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't super, like the artists and stuff were not super like expected to right. spend a lot of time in the game. Well, and it was a super different time because you couldn't just, like, Google search, <laughs> uh, like, a YouTube video of somebody playing the area that has your new creature in it or something. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. So I did a lot of watching over people's shoulders and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it could be worse. It sounds um, like a pretty cool, cool, like, starting gig. Yeah. Making a bunch of weird monsters. Well, <laughs> it was really cool because I got to learn to animate like four games on the job which was you know which is always a good idea and the other super cool thing is that between projects um the studio switched to maya from Mm. lightwave Mm -hmm. and that meant that they straight up like had a like off-site learning session of a couple of days um where all of the animators got sent to this place to like take a class on how to use Maya yeah. and so I also got to learn Maya along yeah. with everyone else on Which the job. Which ended up being a very like industry yeah. standard thing. We still use it here yeah. and lots of dev studios use that. Totally. It's probably like the main one now. Yeah. I feel like not very many places still rely on 3D Studio Max or whatever. I think you're right. Well now they're the same company and everything right, so right, it's a little right. bit weird but yeah um yeah no it was it was super useful um and it, uh, <clears throat> just knowing, like, yeah, the the basics in that was really, was really useful. Um, <clears throat> and the company then uh, started, like, 
yeah, doing stuff for Ephron's Call 2. Yeah. Um, and so that was the the Maya platform, and so I got to make a lot of weird creatures for that. And, <laughs> uh, that was a good time. So that And yeah, I got to put in more time like modeling, which was a little bit different mm. when you are, uh, you know... Uh, having a poly count of like 2,000 polys rather than 200. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of how I started uh, doing uh, character models, creature right. models. Yeah. yeah. And now, of course, we're in the world of like a character model being like 100,000 polys or something. Well, <laughs> not as much, actually. I mean, like once it is, once it's chopped down, uh, like the, you know, the the ZBrush like yeah. thing will be a billion polys when yeah. you like output it, but the actual model in game is it's not like a trillion billion polys right, usually. Right, right. But yeah. yeah. But still order of magnitude yes, more than Ezron's <laughs> call it's somewhat, too. Yeah. Somewhat more than two thousand. Yeah. Um well yeah, there's there's definitely still uh, a number of ways to have a poly count that is about that size, though, and it's still pretty useful um, in some ways. But yeah, it's, it's yeah. sure as hell not cutting edge. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I I think that uh, it feels like that is something like that kind of gig would be something that was uniquely appropriate for you just because i know that like when you were growing up you were big into like fangoria and like movie creature effects and stuff did yeah, you feel like you like, like you kind of like drew you know your 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 base knowledge of things like yeah creature effects from movies and and stuff and kind of i guess i would think that more than some people if somebody was like so animate this whatever like slug creature you would have sort of some points of reference. I'm like, ah, oh, yes, like that slug creature from <laughs> Hellraiser 3 or something. <laughs> I'm now trying to think if there was anything kind of like a slug in Hellraiser 3. Excuse me. <laughs> I'll just think about that. Uh, nothing's coming immediately to mind. Ah, oh, well. Um, yeah, not, not so much. I think, I think uh, honestly, I think that doing... Um, like actual animal mm. uh, studies and stuff was was actually a lot more useful. Oh, cool! Yeah, I usually, I mean, did, an, did did doing like animal motion studies come from your your animation yeah. program at, at in college? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, and that kind of thing. And like, I would watch like dog agility videos, like just for amusement, <laughs> like because they're so dog agility is like where people with varying size of dog uh run them through like a set course basically like there's like jumps and tubes and like seesaws and weave poles and right. stuff where they have to like do all of these actions in like a prescribed prescribed order um and then like you know they try to see who can do it which dog can do it the fastest with no mistakes right um but like it's really interesting for an animator because uh it's a really predictable set of motions, yeah. but like dogs all do it slightly differently and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. So huh. I, I totally used to just you know watch that and be like, which foot is coming down first on this thing, you know? And, <laughs> and cool. it was it was very uh, it's satisfying in a weird way. Yeah. But um, yeah, I usually find that that stuff is more useful. And it's not it might just be luck of the draw. Like I didn't end up working on one of those games where it's like, okay, we have a truly horrifying, you know, like, insane mishmash creature yeah. here that, like, is gonna freak you the hell out. <laughs> like, that wasn't kind of 
the that wasn't the game that I was working on. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. Eshron's Call's world was. I feel like the grossest stuff they had was like these insect, sort of insect-based things. Yeah. That none of them was like really just like what's happening there. That's yeah, gross, right, right. and like there wasn't a lot of like you know. Yeah. Multiple slavering jaws or anything. It was more like that spider thing is gross because it's moving like a spider. Right, it was more right. of that. So you, you, yeah, you drew more from like the actual like natural yeah. world for stuff like Usually, that. Usually, yeah. Huh. I mean, like that's you know, it's. Mm, it's cool to see what other people have done, but usually going to the source is like a pretty fundamental thing to do yeah. when it comes to seeking out reference. For sure, yeah. And I think that that's something that we've kind of continued <laughs> to value. Segue. Yeah, just like throughout our, our whole process. It, even if it's not animation specific, yeah. just yeah, doing research into setting or tone or character or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's, um, you know, as as always, it's totally cool to yeah see what other people are doing, but if you only base your work off of work that other people have done drawing from the original, then, you know, you're kind of one copy away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're leaving the original. Yeah. If, when you go back to the original thing, you are creating an interpretation of it as opposed to an interpretation of someone else's interpretation. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. It's something that I've thought about, and I've probably mentioned this at some point, with a lot of, like, game genre stuff, too, is, like... There are popular games that are effectively an abstraction of a real world experience mm -hmm. in some way, yeah. and they become popular. Right. And then things that follow them are an interpretation of that popular game, right. not of the thing. Right. Um, it's really interesting. Yeah. Like when I when I've talked to people when I've talked about like first person shooters before, I'm like, an FPS, in almost all cases, is not actually like an interpretation of what it's like to shoot a gun at things right. in this world. It's an interpretation of Doom. Yeah. <laughs> like, like yeah. You're, taking, you're like, what did Doom do? Then what did Quake do? Then, you know, like, what did Half-Life do? And it's all kind of like, those expectations are built up from a foundation that isn't actually the thing that's being depicted. Right. You know, and it's, I, right. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. No, it's just thing, that they've formed their own branch. Like, yeah. it's kind of like that experience has been branched into this now, and we yeah. now have this whole thing. And you can go back to, like, the original concept and do a thing, but it's no longer in the same lineage. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's like cladistics or, I don't know, branching builds or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I think it's something that people get excited about when it happens. Like, I think that, for instance, the reason that, like, Dark Souls was really notable was that people were like oh this is actually a completely unique reinterpretation of like what an rpg yeah. is it's not just branching off of D, &D or right. it's not just branching off of what bioware has done or whatever it's like oh this is taking this this component idea and actually being a new original interpretation of it that's yeah. done well that kind of stuff i think is exciting when when people do take that one step further back and yeah. say what comes before the thing that other people have done with this, you know? Yeah, it's true. I guess, yeah, that's a different tactic than, yeah, trying to do the thing that everyone else is doing but better, or indeed trying to take it further right. is like, yeah, moving back to an earlier point and, yeah, rebranching. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. Um, so then you actually did animate some animals. Some, some, for it's real true. Animals. Oh, some that's animal right. animals. Yeah. There we go. Animal animals. <laughs> 
Not any of those non-animal animals. <laughs> Not any of those fantastical creatures. Yeah, although there was an expansion pack that had dinosaurs, but I think I, I had left by the point that that was actually getting made. Yes, mm. I worked on uh, Zoo Tycoon 2 um, <laughs> at a studio called Blue Fang, uh, also in Massachusetts. Um, also near. Also near, <laughs> yeah. <coughs> Pardon me. Um Fine. And that, um, what could I say about this? Um, what kind of animals did you get to animate? I don't know, the boring ones. No, <laughs> that's not true. I animated some cool animals. I, yeah, I got to animate um, a whole lot of creatures. Honestly, it was their jump to 3D. They had, I mean, oh, previously, did you like one? Was one well, it was 2D. The, um, the creatures were animated in 3D but rendered out in four angles. I see. Um, and so it was, yeah, it was that style of like, um, like, I don't know, Planescape or any of those other mm -hmm. um, things of that time where it was like, the model exists and it's higher res than you can, you know, ship. So yeah. you render out the angles and use sprites. Yeah, um, like Diablo or something. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so. Zoo Tycoon, Zoo Tycoon 2 uh, was had gone to 3D, and so there was all kinds of like weird stuff to figure out that had not been considered design-wise. Yeah. Um, like just technically and everything, it's just kind of like what happens when a creature you know wants to uh, you know interact with a tree. Does it, you know, does it dock with it and play one exact animation? How many trees do we have? Do we have bespoke animations for each tree? Right. Does it have a, you know, a looping climb animation and then a <laughs> looping sit animation? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> All that stuff. And so that was kind of my introduction to... <clears throat> it was kind of my introduction to what design was in yeah. that ground level sense. Um, and that was just kind of... It had nothing... No. It had a lot of things to do with my job, and that's how I learned about it, but it wasn't explicitly my job. Right. It was kind of that, that intersection. It was almost like... It sounds almost like a like a, like a a tech art, like tech animation yeah. kind of space to work in, where you're like, how do we make mm -hmm. the animation system work right to support the design mm -hmm. requirements and vice versa? How do the designers change what they expect to do so that we can actually yes. <laughs> have our animations yeah. do it? <laughs> and yeah, I actually, that was the first time that I was really working closely with um, a programmer and, you know, a designer to try to make stuff that made sense. Yeah. Um, and that was interesting. But yeah, I animated... Um, Ring-tailed lemur, mm. um, alligator, elephant, uh, <coughs> um, let's see, gazelle, uh, I, there's a few wow. others. That's a, that's a wide range there's of different creatures to have to and animate. And I'll tell well. you that the animation process was extremely dull. <laughs> <laughs> there was, it was very, like... I had to, um, like, each and every one of them had to have idols, walks, sits, transitions between sit sitting and walking, transition between sitting and lying, transition between standing and walking, tradition, you know, transition yeah. between walking and standing, right. turns of various angles, like, to different, you know... <clears throat> yeah, like a one-eighth turn versus a one-quarter turn. More or less, kind of stuff, right? yeah. yeah. Um, and it was... It was really a lot, <laughs> and it was not... It was that that kind of burned me out eventually. That was just so much repetition. Yeah, because you got because you got out of 
animation, like production level animation for games after that. Um, yeah, that yeah. is true. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just too dang much. I can understand that if it's like, if you basically are one person that has to own the entire stack of just like, do all of these animations for this creature. Yeah. I mean, there's a, that's a lot of very, uh, very fine, <laughs> fine work. You know, like, just like a lot of like, let's do another 16th yep. turn, uh, you know. Like, On this yeah. creature, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely got extremely old. Um, yeah, it was a, uh, it was, it was, had some cool, um, I had some cool experiences where I got to, um, you know, overlap with other people and yeah. their work, and yeah. that was, it was cool to learn about stuff. And I had some really great, uh, coworkers, um, and my boss, um, was a really nice dude yeah. who was cool to be around, and mm-hmm. it was, um, and I met some people that I still keep up with a little there. I think that might be the earliest one of those yeah, yeah. in my career. <laughs> um, but I mean, how much of it do you think? Do, do you have? I mean, I, maybe maybe the answer is none. But also, how much of it do you think was just sort of like, regardless of the kind of local circumstances that you had been just, like, doing production animation as a job for a lot of years at that point, did you kind of have a feeling where you're like, you know, maybe I don't want to be animating for, you know, for the thing that I do forever? Or do you think you just kind of, it was more specific? Or, I don't know. I yeah. mean, I know that... I I mean, like, that was my first experience with burnout. Yeah. And so, in some ways, it's a little hard to tell exactly what, like, if I had had a more, if I had had a job that was, that where I and I could have handed off, you know, all the turns to a, like, junior animator, um, maybe that would have been different if I had been, like, collaborating more and had less production level work to do, it's possible I could have turned into, like, yeah, a tech animator or, like tech artist or something yeah. uh, at that point. Um, or I guess but, a lead animator at some point, doing more of overseeing stuff. Than... Maybe, I'm like, I think in... As with many disciplines in the game industry, lead animators tend to like, you know, get... It's like, you're really good at being an animator. Why don't you, you know, lead these animators? Right. And <laughs> I... Why don't you not animate? I was yeah. right. I was neither really that good at being an animator, nor was I good at being a leader. So sure. I think that would not have tracked immediately. However, yeah. I am good at like interdisciplinary stuff, and I'm decent at like you know liaising between departments and stuff like that. So sure. if I could have managed to, if I was smart enough slash empowered <laughs> enough, um, I possibly could have made. Um, an interesting position for myself then, but I don't think I would have known how to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was it was also a weird time in our the uh, the studio head uh, had some real weird ideas about doing like this sort of you know Milo esque thing where he wanted to have like a like puppeteered uh, you know high res video thing where you spoke to a a character like at the time and and yeah it was very as, this as never like a, happened as like a skunkworks thing or as part um, of zoo tycoon no no they were they had more things going on than okay. zoo tycoon it was just um 
No, yeah, this was sort of like a it's separate, and it was thing, not. Yeah. It was not Skunk Works because it was the head of the company who wanted to do it. Sure, right. But right, right. like, it was, um, it was sort of like this is what I want to do with the company kind yeah. of thing, and I was so dubious of that freaking <laughs> thing. Um, I wonder whatever. I wonder whether any of that's still on somebody's hard drive. Yeah. What a weird idea. That little guy's probably just hanging out with Milo, wherever Milo is. <laughs> also on somebody's hard drive somewhere. <laughs> They're all, they know each other. All the like 3D puppet people are friends. <laughs> all your digital child friends. Oh god, why do I have so many? <laughs> <laughs> so, it wasn't too long after that that you ended up in the Bay Area? Is that right? Yes, I think that's true. Um, I think that there was a point after that where I taught at a community college mm. um, that, and that was still in Massachusetts because that was in uh, Waltham um, and yeah I taught like um, 3D rigging and, and modeling and animation to yeah. like college uh, art students and that was, that was interesting and again wasn't that good at it but it was a good <laughs> break from um being a production animator. Right. Um, <coughs> uh, but yeah, then uh, my uh, husband at the time uh, went, got an offer to go to California um, where they were forming 2K Marin. And I was like, I don't know, I'm sick of teaching here. <laughs> right. I guess we may as well do it. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you weren't super tied down to it, then. Yeah, I wasn't. Pro- probably a pretty good time to get a change of scenery and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, being an adjunct teacher at a community college is not usually something that you uh, right. yeah. consider a, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, I actually... No, it wasn't until... So my first contact with 2K Marin was at GDC 2008, and right. I actually met Jordan oh, yeah. and Carlos Coelho, because mm, um, yeah. they were the two folks that were there um when when i showed up i think i actually talked to carlos first because he just happened to, to be yeah. there so carlos coelho um was a programmer on the original bioshock and then he was the technical director or lead programmer on bioshock 2 and then jordan thomas was a level designer for the fort frolic level on the original bioshock and was creative director of bioshock 2 so i met them first and then i think probably the third person i was in contact with at 2k marin was jp LeBreton, mm-hmm. who had also been a level designer at irrational and was the i believe lead level designer mm-hmm. on, so. on on bio 2 um yeah he so, works on uh in arcadia and Right, his level was yeah, yeah. Arcadia in the in the first game. So um, yeah, I, I I met him and had a lot of contact with him as he became my lead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, before we knew each other. Right, but um, but yeah, that that was that would end up being why we ended up coming into contact. Yeah. But you didn't actually move to California to work at Two K Marin. No. but you, you, it wasn't very long before you started helping out it on Bioshock Two, right? I think it was like. I don't know. It might have been... It was less than a year. I think it... Yeah, because I feel like... So I was uh, the 16th employee nice. there. Um, I started in early-ish, like March 2008 or something like that. And yeah, I think that you were coming on to the project, like, it felt like just a few months, maybe six months later at the most. Maybe. Like, it I was, think it was before the end of 2008. I, I, no, you're definitely right. Yeah. Um, it was either... 
it's either late summer or fall, yeah. um, I think. But yeah, so I, yeah, I didn't, uh, at the time, I was trying to work somewhere else because usually it's like, you know, inadvisable to work with a significant other. Um, yeah. But uh, that did not work out. And I, um, yeah, I ended up um, hearing from Jordan, uh, who I used to know from the internet right. <laughs> long ago. Um, and I dug up some old photos recently and they're hilarious. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, he was like, yeah, so I guess I'm, you know, in charge of this thing. And, you know, do you want to help me out with research and stuff? And... I was like, what's this? Time time period research? This game takes place in the early 60s. And so uh, I got to come on part-time as Jordan's research assistant for um, period whatnot. Yeah. And... Which also seems very appropriate in oh, yeah. terms of, like, you, I, you know, having known you for a long time, I know that you, and as, as we were talking about, like, going back to the original source and everything, like, doing mm-hmm. that level of research of kind of, like, where does this stuff come from? How would it have really been? What can we interpret from that? Like, I don't know. I feel like you have a very ingrained, uh, you know, set of values that that you're you're committed to that kind of stuff. So, being somebody who is responsible for like, if we were going to do this in Rapture, right? What would that be coming from? Seems like a, a really uh, natural fit for kind of what you care about, I guess. Yeah, in a and production that, like that, that definitely that production definitely reinforced that. I think I. I don't even know how, like, conscious that drive was previous to that. But, yeah, yeah it definitely gave me an opportunity to be an extremely pedantic weirdo <laughs> about things. Yeah, I think that the, bio, the working on the Bioshock series kind of reinforced the value of research for both of us. Yeah. Because I also hadn't really thought of it in a super explicit way um, prior to that. But, like, when we were working on Minerva's Den together think that you know i kind of absorbed the ethos of like okay we should do real research into mm-hmm. what mainframe computers would have mm-hmm. been like then and what working on them was like and what you know people thought about and like why this technology was made in the first place and that influences the fiction you know and like when i was at irrational ken always banged on like if you're going to do a quest about this kind of thing research the real thing right. and then figure out what the quest is that's going to come out of that. Because you don't know what you don't know. Right. Um, so that that's cool that it that it was something where that kind of dovetailed right. for you. you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was lucky that um, that they could use me. Um, well, and it was one of those things where it was lucky that, you know, since, since JP was there from mm-hmm. one of the first people, you were kind of there early enough that a studio around. like Marin can yeah. be like, we're at the very beginning of the project. We can actually like justify, you know, like hiring someone right. just to like help make the foundation of the fiction stronger. Right. You know, if it was like a year or two later, they wouldn't be hiring a research assistant it's to really do that true. kind of stuff. You know? And also, like, yeah, Jordan, you know, was down and was kind of like, yeah. sure, why don't you come help? You know, rather than you know me being just a total stranger, right. because like that would not have been an easy sell. Right, right. Uh, that that would not have worked out well. I think I also tried to apply for animation, but my um, my reel was probably too monstery because yeah. like honestly, like yeah, it's all humanoids. Yeah, there's nothing. Uh, it's a different yeah. you know discipline yeah. in a lot of ways. No, and I mean I think that like this is a good time to yeah start talking a little bit about the 
about how important a lot of the stuff about 2K Marin, I think, has been to yeah. both of us. And I think that includes that, especially early on, I think that they were... they It, it was inspiring how um, open they were to taking chances on who they worked with in a lot of cases i think that's true of myself i think Mm -hmm. that's true of tynan wales who is you know a member of fulbright now and we've worked with uh Mm -hmm. off and on for years um you know it's it's true of of bringing you on for that kind of role that is like almost just even a weird role to exist in a game production um because yeah i had shipped you know one expansion pack as a level designer and like tynan had not been a level designer for like an FPS game at all in the past and you know we were we were all kind of early hires so that always helps to be like earlier into the process right, so they aren't yeah. as conservative with like we just need somebody who can like put the pixels <laughs> on screen but the flip side is at that point they were like you know this person kind of shows that they have the kind of stuff about how they think or about what they could do that we want to bring to this game that we're going to make and we're going to you know two came in the staff there believed in themselves enough to say we can help this person be able to do what we need because of kind of what we see about them or what they've done in the past, even if it isn't just like, here's my huge list of ship titles that are the exact kind of work that you need. So I can just hit the ground and yeah, da, 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 da. And we've totally valued that going forward ourselves, just with thinking about who we bring on here. Um, and I think that really, you know, it speaks to people like Jordan, who are like, well, I know this person, I think that they could, you know, do this job well. But I think it also speaks to people like Alyssa Finley and other people, who was the executive producer on that project, and other people at the studio who kind of followed that recommendation, were like, well, if you believe in them, and you can show me this stuff about them, then sure, we can, you know, we can sign off on hiring this person. Um, And it really led to us working with a team of people who... I, I look back on it being a really unique kind of collaborative group Absolutely. of designers and programmers and artists that um, I think really had a unique perspective to how they work together um, that I, I, I think really came out of that kind of hiring ethos of like, who are we going to bring on and who are we going to take chances on and what is that going to add up to? You know? Yeah, I think that like any studio um, is super subject to founder effect and like hires reflect, you know, what's important to the founders and so it was interesting like watching from you know more from the outside uh really but for me but watching that process happen and watching people get brought on and seeing like how yeah everyone all the new people i was kind of like this makes sense like you know like hoagie you know and and like you know everyone and yeah and and Tynan and and you and stuff and I'm kind of like this I can see how these people like fit here right which is very interesting like I feel like 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 Rich Wilson for instance and Jen Holcroft you know they're they're people who have gone on to continue to do interesting stuff in the industry but yeah they all had that kind of vibe of like it makes sense these are people that are kind of like trying to do something they've got that kind of like questing about (laughs) right interesting yeah um yeah it's it's really funny, yeah, watching watching that form and watching, like, the values sort of coalesce. Yeah. Um, it's but, fu- yeah. yeah, and it's funny because we, you know, especially as the design group, but also with some overlap with programmers, there was a lot of, like, 
us playing through games that were being released at the time, mm-hmm. like over lunch periods mm-hmm. and kind of having this sort of like ongoing, like running analysis and kind of critique of various things that were coming out, you know, and like, oh, what can we gain from this? Or just like, yep. what does this make us think about for games in general or for what we're doing? Which is also something that I'm sure happens all over the place, but I've totally worked places where there wasn't a lot of like, hey, why don't we spend our lunch hour like playing this new game that came out and see what we think about it and talk about it, you know? And also like just being, I don't know, everyone was like nice and inclusive and stuff. Like people were definitely like, you know, I was in the, I don't know what department I was in. (laughs) I was in the narrative department and the sound department and the art department and like whatever. I was this weird mutant and like people were definitely like you know, a lot more nice to me than they needed to be. Like, I remember somebody being like, hey, you drive while we're playing Deadly Premonition, you know, or whatever. And I was all like, oh no, (laughs) the designers are going to watch me play a game. This is the worst (laughs) thing. And I was like, it was straight up terrifying. Like, it was just, um, but like, it ended up being fine. And I don't know. um, Everybody was was cooler than they needed to be it was good <laughs> yeah so you started out do like yeah kind of like so when you started out would it be kind of jordan was like jordan was my boss at the beginning yeah and would be like i want to put this kind of thing in the game find out everything you can about like that sort of from he, the period or? yeah sort of uh, he would also he sort of aimed me at like I don't know, he was like, check out this, you know, book and see if there's anything we can steal from that. Um, or, you know, steal, that's something, <laughs> something I would say, but yeah. Right. Um, it's, you know, anything, any inspiration we can take, any, like, you know, interesting stuff we can learn from it. Um, and that and, like, you know, he'd be like, okay, this is the time period, these are the major characters, and I'd be like, cool, I'm gonna go find out some things about, like, these people and what would have happened and uh, what's going on at this time period, like, people's you know, outfits like Bioshock uh, 2 is weird because, yeah, it's a, it's the early 60s, but Rapture had been closed off uh, for a really long time. So, like, you know, basically, there one of the things I had to do was um, uh, help pick uh, soundtrack songs, and, like, I was really hard-lined about being, like, Rapture was closed off. Like, maybe somebody, somebody coming in late, you know, in the early 60s or late 50s could have conceivably brought a recording of something but right. by and large everything should be chopped off like by the time Rapture was closed off right. and yeah. like so there should not be anything from past that date um, and you know that wouldn't have happened if, it weren't, if yeah. I weren't paying attention to that nobody else would have and right. so like yeah there's um, well and you also is that kind of I've, I think I've never quite known is that also kind of how you got into the like script supervision voice recording side of things being like hey go over these scripts and you're going to look at them for like period appropriate phrases and anachronisms and stuff yeah i helped jordan with that and then i would also sort of pay attention to the contract writers um Mm -hmm. and their like barks and stuff and try to you know root out all the really modern um constructions and stuff uh and you know, just try to try to make sure that nothing really like it's like you can't really you can't truly be like you know no this is this is perf- we must be perfectly fifties at all times right uh, you can't really quite hit that because it's a modern audience and right. so you do have to like 
you know, provide an entry point and make things not feel jarring. But like the best thing that you can do is just not knock people out of that, uh, right. you know, immersion really. And so, yeah, that was, that was a certain amount of, um, stuff I had to do was, uh, and I remember we got, uh, I remember we, we talked about that a certain amount on, uh, Minerva's den. I remember, uh, there was, there was something that I put my foot down super hard on. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was modern style of cursing. Oh, okay. I remember, um, I remember you had a lot of it in there and I was just like, this just feels like a movie today. Yeah. And it felt jarring to me. And I remember us having a long conversation while I tried to figure out exactly what was up with that. Right. And we ended up like, I think that the, the, the positive, I mean. Oh, it was good. It was a good thing that we did it. A, it was positive in general, but B, I think the specific form of it that came out of it that was positive was that we basically just ended up cutting pretty much all of the swearing out of the script which we never did again in our game yes <laughs> but you know like it, it, you know i wrote i wrote a, so okay for for people's reference so i was a level designer on the main game of bioshock 2 um and during the development of the game I, uh, you know, gathered from, from just overhearing stuff that was going on with the management of the studio that they were looking for contract writers to help with, like, more enemy barks and, like, tertiary audio diaries and stuff like that. I remember early in development, I was like, oh, if you need help with that, you know, I can help with it. And they were sort of like, yeah, we'll let you know. <laughs> and then late in development, <laughs> they did not have enough contract coverage, and they were like... Steve, didn't you say you would do an extra job? <laughs> uh, why don't you do that, actually? So I ended up writing um, the enemy barks, like the things that enemies yell at you in combat and stuff like that, for most of the splicers in the main game, um, and wrote some of the side audio diaries and stuff. And so that's when you and I started working mm-hmm. together, because you were catching the scripts that I was writing, mm-hmm. and then doing your edit pass on them and giving me feedback, and then, yeah, kind of... I think that the impulse that you had to actually push for, um, you know, meaningful edits to kind of like the approach that I was taking on, on some stuff and for us to actually discuss that and talk through it and figure Mm -hmm. out how to do that better. That was really the starting point that we had. Cause also you were, you were doing editing on the like audio diary threads that I did and gave feedback like, Okay, you have this audio <laughs> diary thread, and you've written one, two, three, beginning, middle, and end, and it's just kind of very flat. Could you, you know, cut out the middle one right. because the player can infer yeah. if they have the beginning and the end, fill in what happened in between, and that's more interesting. And that kind of um, collaboration that we had, even if it was at that point fairly slight, was what led to us wanting to, you know, work together much more directly when the opportunity for the the Minerva's Den DLC came around. Yeah. Um, yeah. And showed early my obsession with leaving things out. (laughs) Um, but, but yeah, I remember, um, yeah, with, with the, the cursing thing, basically, I think that LA confidential was very recent Mm. and that had a lot of sort of, um, you know, it was, Honestly, like, L.A. Confidential feels to me like one of those movies from the 60s where it's supposed to be about, like, cowboys in Mm. the 1800s, but everyone has perfect 60s hair and makeup. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, not quite to that extent, but it's kind of like the lens 
through which you're viewing this story that's supposed to take place in like noir time periods uh, was very apparent to yeah. me. And I was kind of like, this is, you know, this is a mishmash. Uh, and that never came together for me because of that. But like, um, it just felt like the mod modernity was too strong. Um, and so I think part of, uh, I remember reacting to that in, I think both your and, uh, Jordan scripts, which initially were kind of like, you know, very of the moment, like mm -hmm. linguistically and everything. And I kept just being like, we are trying to evoke a time period here. How can we do this? And yeah. like still, you know, keep this accessible and, um, and interesting to people. And yeah, one of the things that I focused on was like, just just adding like fuck into things was like very it's easy to do it because like you have a whole lot of very insane enemies right, and like right. you know this is it's one of the things um that comes to hand when yeah. you're in that situation and you're writing and i remember just eventually figuring this out i think in a conversation with you um where i was like okay here's what you're doing with if you're just having the character use current modern swears, you're losing the opportunity to put something linguistically, informationally in there that says something about the character and the time period, apart from that they're upset and possibly insane. Right. Um, and so it's like, like there's an opportunity there. Like we can, we can add things in that are, um, you know, that say something yeah. that like that point to the environment and to the character, but it's harder to do that uh, if your palette is really limited. Yeah. And I think that, you know, starting from there, I think that my overall kind of thing that I realized is that generally probably the best thing to do is to do as little as possible in yeah. the actual writing space itself, mm -hmm. you know, like, and there's two there's two aspects of that. One is if you're writing for, for instance, you know, mid-century characters, mm -hmm. you can do a lot of like gangster movie slangy slang yes. stuff that comes to yes, mind. That's not what I mean. And, yeah, and totally. like that's a th like that's a yeah. thing you can do because it's you can be like, well, they should you know right, sound right. like they're from the time. But I think that writing, especially writing for, I, I guess, in this case, entirely writing for recording, for performance, mm -hmm. is when you're on the page, uh, you know, it's the whole, like, when all you have is a hammer yeah, yeah, yeah. thing, where it's like, okay, I'm going to write all of the period and characterization mm -hmm. stuff into the words themselves. And I think that you learn to have a slightly longer view and realize that if you write something that linguist linguistically is totally straight, and then the performer brings their mm -hmm. period appropriate, you know, vocal uh, accent or range to it or brings their, you know, emotional space to yeah. it or the tenor of what they're saying. You don't have to have written some of the words for the stuff you're trying to come across to, to come across. That's absolutely true. Um, yeah, there is definitely a lot of power in just simplifying yep. um and especially for things like barks that you're gonna hear over and over again <laughs> right. and you'd better be real excited about that and you know i mean yeah if it's if it's some sort of like i don't know yeah if it's some sort of horrible joke or something like you're not going to be real excited about that joke every yeah. time you hear it yeah. and but if it's something simple it has a much better chance of 
of standing the test of time. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I don't. I'm not saying like, yeah. Oh no! Everything, no, I, everything. We need to have swell in every no, every yeah, sentence. Yeah. No, um, I definitely wasn't trying to yeah, yeah. Uh, to push on you there. I think I was just saying that like I think my kind of takeaway from us going through that was realizing like okay, you yeah. can just put in less. Yeah, that's true. And the thing that you want can come out of it through other means. Yeah, no, that's totally valid. Like people have told yeah. have asked you know like how did you write such a convincing like you know teen girl character and I'm like, well, I mostly just wrote. I mostly just tried not to, like, lean into, you know, slang or mm-hmm. vocal tics or anything. Like, if anything, the main thing about writing for Gone Home was I think I made Sam say like more than probably I would an adult character. But aside from that, there really wasn't much in the way of, like, oh, we should use, like, a bunch of 90s slang or have yeah. them, you know, like, X, Y, Z. Because I think I got to learn from working on Minerva's Den and and having a little bit more experience, like, if you write it just sort of, like, with sincerity but without a lot of, like, mm-hmm. floof to it, you got the right performer and mm-hmm. them internalizing that is what's going to bring who the character is across more so than any single, like, word or phrase or, you know, kind of flourish that you could do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, kind of what you're pointing at is just the fact that your script is not the finished project product. Yeah. Um, like you are, you know, that's not where it ends up. Like you can write anything you want. And if the actor can't fit it in their mouth, then right. it's not going to work. Yeah. And we've uh, totally, the both of us, I think have gotten pretty, um, you know, serious about whenever we write something for performance, we, you know, read it out yeah. either to ourselves or as a group. Yeah. Cause you will hear the stuff that won't, be delivered easily if you try to say it yourself. Yeah. Yeah, we we instituted uh, table reads on Tacoma and we had all of our um, all of our people, we had them like take parts and read the characters out in scenes because Well, and like in Gone Home, we always recorded all the audio diaries as scratch first so we were like, oh, okay, when someone tries to say this, it's not working. Yeah. (laughs) Which meant there didn't have to be a lot of edits like in the studio or, you know, pickups afterwards or anything. Yeah, Yeah, because that's like, you know, sometimes it's unavoidable, but like yeah, you don't really want to be burning studio time when you're trying to figure out like how best to remove like some alliteration or something. Right, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so that was, that was when we first worked together at all, but then, yeah, when Bioshock 2 was wrapping up, there were two things that were going on, (laughs) and one was they had the XCOM shooter project that was going to go into full production that had, had been being led by the team in Australia, and then they were going to roll 2K Marin onto it to, to build more of it. And so a lot of people were moving on to that, and then a smaller group was going to make DLC for Bioshock 2. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in 2000, that game came out in 2010. So in 2010, uh, kind of, I think the kind of prestige single player DLC was a little bit more of like a thing then. You know, like GTA had done it, and That's Mass true. Effect 2 had like yeah. DLC people were excited about, and we were coming out at, at that same time. So, um, That's a good point. You know, there was sort of this, this, you know, uh, fork in the road where it was like, 
do you want to keep working on this project that you've been working on for years and probably mm-hmm. kind of tired of? Or do you want to move on to this cool new exciting thing? But like And a lot of people were straight up allowed to choose that. Yeah. It was the they were they were not like placed necessarily. Like yeah. I had an explicit choice and you did too. Yeah. yeah. Where, you know, I basically I just felt like I had joined that studio to work on Bioshock stuff <laughs> and I had an idea for a DLC thing, and I'm excited about, like, small single-player experiences, obviously. Yeah, uh, you are. <laughs> as we can see uh, in, in the intervening years. But, you know, I was like, okay, well, we got this tool set. We know how to make stuff with it. I think there's this cool new part of Rapture we could visit. And I, you know, pitched the thing. And, uh, you know, thankfully the, the management of the studio gave me the go-ahead to, like, lead the thing. And so as part and parcel of that... I think both of us were like, well, we want to work on the project together. You know, like we yeah. want to work on the story and the characters and the script as a team because we've kind of built that. You know, we've found that working together on that stuff is really good from the relatively small amount of it that we've done on the on the main game. But I feel like we knew we wanted to collaborate on that for the DLC, and then also you had been doing a bunch of the, like, 2D art, like, posters and documents and stuff for the main game. It's like, okay, we can also fill in that role for this new part of Rapture by having, you know, Carla jump in on the the DLC as well. Yeah, I was, I mean, yeah, I was super lucky that I got to, like, expand and fill a lot of spaces, um, which had never happened to me before in a (laughs) job, so I mean, like, it's something that I'm eternally grateful for, that nobody was, like, you know, stop doing that. We right. have poster artists because they were a lot better than me too. Let's just be <laughs> honest. Like, yeah, I don't know. My stuff was supplemental at best, but like, I I learned some stuff and I did some stuff that was okay, um, and I got better at it in Minerva's Den. So you know, yeah, um, I do feel like you. Yeah, you're right. You kind of grew into. I felt like the the, the, the poster graphic work yeah. in Minerva's Den was really strong. It was know? a lot better than it was in my bio two stuff. Um, but like, you know, yeah, that was where I first uh was in a vo session that was where i first like yeah touched like scripts for recording and like it's where i first helped cast people and like just learned about that whole process from from mike surix and you know I don't know. There was so much that I got, and like, and the design education was like unparalleled, yeah. um, which I'm always interested in. Um, yeah, it was cool that we got to. It's true because the thing the thing I've said about working on DLC was like we were a very small team within a very large yeah. organization, so we had a lot of support and we had a lot of resources, but we didn't have a ton of oversight, yeah. and we also had few enough people actually assigned to the project that, like right, you were saying, yeah. we got to like. You know, you, we we you went through the the voice auditions and right. filtered them, and then we looked at them together, right. and, and then right. we like were actually sitting in on the voice recording calls, or you know, like actually getting to touch more of the points in the process than you mm-hmm. get to on like a full scale game was very educational well, and really interesting and valuable. Yeah. Well, actually, what I was just talking about was the stuff I did on Bio 2. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. However, I also got to do those things on Minerva's Den yeah. um, because I had done them on Bio Right, right. <laughs> so, like, that was, you know, cool. Um, but, yeah, no, I was I was sort of talking about how, um, yeah, I was allowed to um, leave my silo, basically, on Bio right. 2, and that allowed 
me to develop skills that would make me an acceptable small team member. Right. Instead yeah. of like, yeah, just kind of being just like, being well, I only know how thing. to do one thing. Yeah. yeah because yeah, this yeah. is all I've been doing my whole life. So like, yeah, that was, that was very important. Um, but, uh, yeah, like when it came time to choose, um, what was going on for the next project, uh, I was essentially like, I know this world. Like this is, I am used to this. I know how it works. I know when Andrew Ryan was born. Like, <laughs> right. I... This is all stuff that I now have, like, incorporated into my worldview. I am staying on this, like... Right. I'm staying in this world, and, like, you know, I can be most useful here, like, rather yeah. than, you know, having to be like, all right, switch contexts, now yeah. you get to learn about an XCOM, which I did eventually do, but, right. uh, but not then. Um, but in that time, you know, it felt like we had spent... All this time, yeah, kind of like building, building yeah. familiarity, building and familiarity with both the fictional world and the mechanics and how they worked right. and like all that, you know, how to even just right. build for this, you know, spaces for this kind of gameplay, et cetera, et cetera. Right, and I was like, I was fluent with the world and like all, and the way everything worked there. And so I was like, I need to keep using this. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I guess I'll just be on this DLC then, you know, it's not a big team, but I guess that's cool. Yeah. Um, well, I felt the same way just with the overall pitch for it was, I was just like, we've seen, you know, two stories basically in the world of rapture. Mm -hmm. I'm like, it's this huge city with what well, must've been tons of fascinating things going on in it. There's more space here to find out, mm -hmm. like, about, you know, the, the people that lived here and what happened to them and, you know, this other thing that was going on. Because there's, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that, with the scale of the stories that happened in the main games, must have been all this kind of stuff in the, in the margins that mm -hmm. was happening that we could just, like, shine a light on and, and make a cool experience out of. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, stay, like you were saying, staying in that space made it, it felt like we could do something cool with that that you yeah. don't get if you're just like okay we did our big thing let's move on yeah and i as i recall it when i came on i was more sort of like okay here i am miscellaneous <laughs> uh what do i need to do yeah. and i ended up um just kind of falling into being useful to you mostly uh because I mean, we did a lot of like yeah. going out to uh whatever, La Boulange, and, <laughs> and, and discussing uh, plot point and world-building stuff over, While like... eating yogurt. And hard-boiled eggs. Yes, also hard-boiled eggs. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. But, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that... But I think that, like... But that formed after we started. Like, I think mm. I, I did not come on with the expectation of being, like, you know, I'm gonna be the Riker on this... <laughs> on this, uh... <laughs> project um i think that i showed up being like i'm gonna be whatever who's a let's see who's someone who's more miscellaneous a little bit more uh who a, am i thinking uh, of maybe a data uh, he's a computer boy you're not a wharf because that's security yeah and obviously jordy is like maybe o'brien oh you were gonna be a total <laughs> o'brien but then you end up being a Riker. yes <laughs> This is hellish. Anyway, um, but yeah. And I think Will yeah. was the wharf. That's true. Or maybe, anyway, maybe, well. maybe Will was the... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Will Armstrong was the gameplay pro... Pardon me. Gameplay programmer on Yana the... was Jordy. Okay. For sure. Okay. <laughs> and then there was... Sorry. And then there was Jeff Fisher, who was doing, mm. like, the, like... 
hardcore engineering stuff. Like, yeah. he was doing the programming that just, like, allowed for DLC to exist at all and for save data to be managed between the two projects and stuff like that. Um, I, don't know, I don't know how to... So, maybe he was I don't know data. how to place that. Maybe so, yeah. <laughs> the most computery of the computerers on that project. Done. Um, Done. So, anyway, we were basically on the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> 1107D. Um... 1701. 1701D? D. Oh, fine. <laughs> it was the right numbers in the wrong order. It's fine. I got owned. It's um, fine. But, uh, yeah, so so you you kind of uh, organically ended up being the, yes. the kind of story and... Uh, Whatever. Yeah, project <laughs> collaborator with me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I started on... We started on that project with it being a similar but slightly different pitch. Um, yes. So, I mean... Yeah, the, you had a little bit of a different... I mean, the highest level was, like, basically it was just a System Shock 2 remake but in the Bioshock world where it was, like, it started from the beginning and ended with the, like, Polito reveal mm-hmm. from System Shock 2 where it's, like, the person you thought was leading you was dead the whole time and it was the AI actually and that was like the pitch right. and and you know to their credit and something I'm really grateful for actually kind of like we were talking about with like having experience with critique and all that kind of stuff something I'm grateful for having the actual tools to like do something useful with was I brought that pitch to Jordan and to Zach McClendon who was the lead designer of Bioshock 2 um, and walked them through it and they were just sort of like well I get what you're going for but I really don't think you're quite doing something interesting enough with this. Yeah. And I was like, huh, okay. Well, I remember I was in a meeting with them, and I'm sorry, so spoilers for Minerva's <laughs> Den. <laughs> Which also, is I guess, how old now? Uh, yeah, yeah, it is like eight years old now or whatever, but uh, also spoilers for System Shock 2 a minute oh, ago, no. sorry. Um, but uh, in I was in a meeting with Jordan and, and Zach talking about this, and I was like, okay, so it's not interesting enough if the guy that you've been following ends up being dead and it was the AI betraying you at the end. But we've got kind of three main characters. You've got the quest giver human, we've got the AI, and we've got the player character. And the player character, because of what Bioshock 2 was, had to be a big daddy. Like, because mm-hmm. we had the hands, like yeah, we couldn't yeah. make it just a normal guy right. or whatever. So I'm like, well, big daddy always used to be somebody else. What if there's just a reveal that you are the quest giver guy who's been turned into a big daddy and now it's the AI impersonating him to like guide you through the thing. And I just remember Zach was like, yeah, no, let's just do that. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and then we just like, we were like, okay, now we actually have something that's like surprising in a legitimate way. And it's like a Bioshock kind of like identity reveal thing that feels like it's, you know, in line with the, the IP and so on and so forth. Zach is such a good quick decision maker. He is. And yeah. he, I don't know how he does that. He, he has a very good uh, very good clarity on that yeah. kind of stuff. But I think that the, the thing that was really valuable about that was it allowed us to then say, okay, so you are playing as mm-hmm. the guy that is giving you quest right. direction and that you're finding out about throughout the game. And I think it was our first real step towards being like, okay, so our kind of thrust with what we're doing with the narrative of this thing is like you're finding out about this character and what he cares about because you're going to end up discovering that yeah. it's like directly relevant to yeah. who you're playing as and gave us that focus of being like this story gets to be about this person and where right. they come from and who they are and what they're trying to do and why that matters and it really gave I think the whole narrative of that project 
a, a, a point of concentration mm -hmm. that was really valuable for us. Yeah, it's that amazing, like, multi-level kind of double-dealing thing where it's kind of like, ah, the story, the front story, I now understand, and, like, it still has to make sense as applying to you, and, like, you have to be able to understand how you got there and everything. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's a cool, like... Um, this matters to you because you experienced it in game, but it also matters to you because it matters to your character. You know that kind of overlay, which is really good to have. Yeah, um, it, it has something. I mean, it, it ends up allowing for a kind of classic identity reveal that I think just sort of naturally makes the player have a, a moment of like recontextualizing the stuff that has mm -hmm. happened up to that point. Yeah, for when sure. They discover it, which is nice for that to happen in a way that feels you know, unforced that mm -hmm. feels like it's like, oh, this is a natural outcome of how I've encountered this information. Yeah, um, I think I remember that that feeling pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. Um and it was our first uh time making a sad room. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> a sad room full of sad chairs and a sad desk that he sat at. We were sad. It, it was it this was is amazing. Yeah, it was long <laughs> after um Minerva's Den came out. So like Okay, so so we, we, we made uh, we made the DLC. Um, we were very happy with the with like the the player response and the critical response to it. Though at that time, it was a much different time for like being online yeah. because there was not like a Twitch culture and a YouTuber culture very much back then. This wasn't that speaking. long after it came out. It was um, about a year after. That late? It was while I was in Boston. Woof. Okay. Because uh, we were like, I know on we were doing it on yeah. Skype or whatever. Yeah. yeah it, I, I feel like <clears throat> yeah. it was the following year. Okay. Um, All right. Sometime during 2011. Sure. But, um, re regardless, yeah, we um, we made me nervous then, and then I took a job at Irrational, um, being a senior level designer on Bioshock Infinite. So I moved. My, my wife Rachel and I moved to the Boston area. Um, Funny, funny enough, Carla and kind I switched trade places, places. Yeah. I, while, um, I, while I stayed to work on, on the new XCOM. Yeah. yeah, and Carla had seen had like I think been you had been like name searching Minerva's Den on Twitter or something, and oh, found maybe. somebody who like linked to that they were doing a live yeah. stream of playing through it, and so we watched this guy who I have no idea who he was at this point. But he was a guy who he had kind of like a streamer shtick mm -hmm. where he was like being jokey and he was being kind of bro-y. He yeah. kind of, you could kind of hear the backwards baseball cap that he yeah. was wearing and he was playing through a bunch of it and he would like, I remember he got to the end of like the yeah. first level yeah. and he was like, what? There's more? I yeah. can't believe I he thought was it was so going to be excited. over. And then he got to the end of the second <laughs> level and he was like, it's not over. He was like so psyched about was, how much game yeah. there was. And we watched a lot of it or yeah. at least we had it on going in the background and yeah. it was, it was actually really interesting. And so then he got to the end and it's after the, the identity reveal and it's when you go down into Porter's office and you listen to the audio diary where he tries to revive Pearl via the simulation and then just like cuts it off and the this you know very boisterous kind of like frat guy who was playing is just like dead silent after the end of just it completely and then he's like oh that's wow that that's really sad and then he realizes that he's still like in streamer mode yeah. and he's like oh so this must be this guy's sad room like this is a sad chair well, where he, he sat like, when he was sad he, like, <laughs> you could feel him like ramping back up to it <laughs> like he like he got very quiet and kind of like i don't know if he quite had like a hitch in his voice or anything but he just got very quiet for a little while and then he was like well, I guess this is my sad room. <laughs> yep, just gonna be sad over here. And, like, you know, just kind of, like, 
this is the emotion I'm having. How can I make this engaging? <laughs> and like trying so hard, and it was adorable. Yeah. So from then on, uh, any sort of emotional reveal room is a, a sad room. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was that was a very. I mean, <clears throat> that was a unique experience for us because yeah we had never watched yeah. someone live streaming something we had worked on because yeah. it was just it was like not done it was not really much. a thing very much back then yeah. it's very different now from like as soon as you hit like the like upload to steam button people yeah. are just streaming your, your game it's pretty crazy. much um but yeah i was in boston for a year um working on an infinite and carla you were still a two camera yeah. working on the XCOM um shooter game and then at the point that I was leaving Irrational, uh, my wife Rachel and I just decided to move back to Portland because that's where Rachel's from and that's where we wanted to end up. And that was when I hit up you and Yanaman, mm-hmm. who was also still a 2K Marin, to basically be like, if I was <laughs> in Portland, would you guys want to come up there and like make a video game together? Because it seems like a thing people do now. <laughs> And like, we were like, I guess? I guess so. I think, yeah, I mean, that feels like, I feel like we just kind of did, like, a couple of phone calls. We straight and it up was did. Like, yeah, I guess, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was a very weird time. Oh, it really was. Because I, I think was very... the three of us just all felt like we were just sort of like, well, there's no reason not to. Yeah. On some level. Totally. No, it was just one of those things where it lined up, like, yeah. life-wise and work-wise and everything. And we were like, well, I guess we have, like some savings because we've been working in triple a so i guess we have some rope to hang ourselves with <laughs> right may as well try to hang ourselves really hard <laughs> it's cheaper in portland yeah you know yeah, it was a I, lot cheaper yeah it's like okay portland's cheaper than the bay area and it was then too yeah. we've worked together before, before yeah. you know we know each other can like do yeah. stuff and we had that safety net of being like I guess if this doesn't work out, right. we can just call it off and go back to getting jobs. Because, yeah. I mean, I don't know. We, we, we still got resumes, you yeah. know. Yeah, um, and like it, and we had started, or at least I had really started to kind of remember Minerva's Den fondly because it was such a small, like, functional team. Yeah. Like, it really was, I had never been on a team like that before that was like, you know, single digit amount of people, really. Yeah. And then, yeah, it was, you know, being on Bio 2 was like, you know, a much larger team, obviously. And being on XCOM was also large again. And I was like, but what about yeah. the small team? No, I had the exact same feeling. I mean, that was really, I think, the thing that that was the reason that I was not destined to, like, <laughs> ship Bioshock Infinite because I. I came back onto a team that was, you know, like 150 people or Oof, whatever after yeah. having been on this team of nine yeah. core, core developers doing this thing. And it's just like the contrast is like, Staggering. wait a second. Like, it just, I mean, on some level, it, it at least at that point in my life and my career, I don't want to, you know, speak for anybody else. But at that point, it just kind of almost felt like a step backwards where yeah. it was like we had this small, tight knit group that did something cool. And now I'm back to. This, you know, huge... This unwieldy, yeah, like... This, like yeah. this, this, I'm back on this giant, like, boat that I don't even know which way it's being steered, much less can I... You know, it's like... And and I think that um, that 
immediacy that we had to the process yeah. on Minerva's Den yeah. is totally different than when you're like, and now we're back to working on this gigantic thing that we can't even see the whole shape of. Yeah. So maybe all of us kind of had that feeling of like, you know, working on something small again actually would be really good. Yeah, for <laughs> and, sure. And we'd had little enough time to kind of have distance from it yeah. to not... You know, to be able to look back at it with, I think, enough right. space to be like, yeah, I think I actually can judge that as right. a thing to to work from and not just it be like something that's too recent to even that's be true. able to see in the rearview mirror. And it wasn't long enough that we were like, that rosy, beautiful halcyon time <laughs> or anything, so, which now is how I think of it. Right. <laughs> but, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing I'm proudest of from the production of Minerva's Den was that somebody on the team afterwards, um, I can't remember if it was Scott LaGrosta or um, uh, Devin St. Clair, but one of them, I think it was Devin, because Devin, so Devin St. Clair mm. was the lead um, lead artist on Minerva's Den. And he did and a great job. He did a great job. I have a tattoo that's based on the yeah. owl design that he made for, for the game. Um, also, he's the nicest man. He's incredibly sweet, and he had been in the industry for a long time at that point, like early 90s, you know, um, was the beginning of his career in the industry. And he, you know, he said something like, you know, that was just like the smoothest development cycle I've ever been through and I'm proud of what we did. Damn. You know, and I'm just sort of like, I'm glad that, that I'm glad the thing, I'm glad people think the game is good. I want people to be proud of like the work, but more than anything, I'm like, we were able to let the people who were making it actually have like a good development experience while we were making it. And that, like it's years of your time. I mean, like Minerva's Den was shorter than that, yeah, like but you know what months, I mean. But you know, it's like it's, nine months of your life is right. like a lot of your life. <laughs> it's, it is, and I mean, like any dev process is like you know, buckle up. This is going to be some time. Yeah. And like, if you, I don't know, if you're, it's best if you enjoy it. Right. <laughs> like if if you're like you know just slogging through it, and then you're like, oh, the game being done is what makes it all worth it. It's like, oh, yeah. I don't. Your life is ninety percent. It's mostly the doing of it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we had had that, that kind of positive experience. And so, um, yeah, you guys uh, yeah. took the leap to, to move up here. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, gosh, we started the development of Gone Home in Rachel's parents' house. Mm-hmm. We lived there for, what, like two months or three yeah, months? Yeah, it wasn't really we, very long. Yeah, we were looking for months. an actual, like, non-parent-owned house yeah. to... <laughs> Plus. to rent together to make the game in. Yeah, for sure. But. Yeah, I remember um, I had only, I had very only briefly been to um, Portland, and once was for your wedding. Um, and during that time, I was like, this isn't bad. I kind of <laughs> like it here. Even yeah. though it was like, it was the height of summer. It was really warm, as I recall. Yeah. But, um, but it was, I remember thinking it was alright. And yeah, so then like, whatever, a year later or two, two years later, I was like, oh, <laughs> I could actually try to live here, which was interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then we got, we rented our own place, all of us, and we all lived together in the same house. We worked <laughs> in the basement, which was actually great because it was uh, insulated. It was about the same temperature in, in all, all weather. Right. Yep, my Which home office good. at our house is also in the basement. Oh, you're so smart. <laughs> because it does not get too hot in the in the summer. I live mostly. on the third floor, and it's not a great time. Yeah, but, um, not a lot of basement for you to. I mean, I guess you could put your your desk down that storage unit in your basement. Yeah, I can just yeah go next to the laundry. Room. It'll be great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean we uh, yeah like when we were starting out, I, I I I worked on the desk that was like. 
the family computer desk in Rachel's parents' house, and then we pushed the dining room table up against oh, the yeah. wall, and you and Yanaman worked on it, like, side by side. Oh, my gosh. God, I remember we were working in that space when Brendan Chung sent a pre-release build of 30 Flights of Loving to us, and we, like, sent the zip file around and all played it and talked about it. That's so good. But, like, that was, you know, that was the time where we were starting on what we were making with Gone Home, and actually my very original pitch for, like, a game we could make together was more mechanically focused and more about, like, sneaking past guard robots and stuff. Oh, um, yeah. And then at some point, you know, we were... we were all into stealth. Like, you know, stealth yeah, is good. And, you yeah. know, okay, you can have, like, a little, like, aggro Roomba that's, like, sure. not hard to animate. Okay, ah. you know, they shoot you with, like, a, a stun gun or something, yeah. sure. Um, but, yeah, it was around that point that... You know, things like Dear Esther were coming out and having success, and things like the first build of, of 30 Flights was, like, this inspiring, cool yeah. thing. And I think a lot of... And, like, Proteus had come out, and it was mm-hmm. really noteworthy and interesting. And there's this stuff that I think gave us the kind of audacity to be <laughs> like, you know, what if we actually just took out things like having to sneak past robots, and it's just like, you can be in a place, and you can find stuff, and it can just be the not-shooting-dudes side of Minerva's Den as, yeah. like, the thing that we invest in, and we add a couple new mechanics. You know, yeah. okay, you can read notes, you can examine yeah. objects, and, like, invest completely in that and make it the thing that, that we do. Yeah. Um, it, was but, a, it was a weird decision, even at the time. And, like, I I was talking to someone recently, I can't remember if it was... Scott Benson or somebody, but recently and somebody was kind of like, yeah, how did you know, you know, that would work? Just like removing all those mechanics <laughs> and, you know, just kind of only leaving the experience and the exploration and the, you know, the com- the reading comprehension, you right. know, and everything. And we were like, oh, we didn't know it was going to work. <laughs> we, we thought, thought it, was, it would be cool. We yeah, hoped. <laughs> we thought it might be interesting and like weird little niche project that maybe some people would get into. Yeah. We didn't, yeah, it was... Because, I mean, what do people really like to do in a video game? The answer is read a lot. Fucking A. (laughs) I mean, if there's anything we can say about the storied history of video games, it's that... People love to read. Everybody loves to read. Some people love to read. But it's usually a small number of people who want to read, like, every book that you find in Skyrim or something. That is true. (laughs) But, Speaking um, of the forgotten lore. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean... It was very, uh, it was very kind of, um, I don't know, seat of your pants, right? We were sort yeah. of like, cause, I mean, the other side of it was, who do we have and what can we make with that? It's like, we have yeah. three people that have worked on Bioshock, but it's like a very small number of people. Right. One of them's a writer and level designer, one of them's a story editor and 2D artist, and one of them is a gameplay programmer. <laughs> so maybe we need to, like, do the things that those people specifically can be good at yeah. and do, like as little as possible so that we can actually get it done. <laughs> yeah. We didn't even think about making a 2D game, probably because y'all's experience was so 3D specific. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't though... even know where to start with, like, let's make a platformer. You yeah. Know? I wouldn't have really wanted to make a platformer. Right. Um, but yeah. Or like taken. a point-and-click adventure game yeah, or something. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, that's where my, like, experience in playing games was. So, like, that would have made sense in yeah. some ways. But, like, yeah, no, we were just, like... We had to find a Kate, and then, yeah. we, and then we could have a 3D game. Right, and we were yeah, we were we started out with again we were lucky to be as naive as we were because we started out with being like oh well maybe we don't need a 3D artist we can just like 
buy 3D assets online to make this game out of. And quickly we realized, like, we can't do that. That's not actually possible. Um, and then, yeah, we lucked into finding uh, Kate Craig, who has been our 3D artist ever, our 3D environment artist ever since, um, via me interviewing her wife, Emily Carroll, as research for uh, the characters in Gone Home. And that was one of those things where... Yeah, again, the serendipity of me <laughs> reaching out to Emily and being like, hey, could I interview you for this thing we're doing? And her being like, yeah, I'm actually going to be in Portland in like two weeks, and my wife Kate is coming, and you can talk to her too. And so we sit down to do this, like, you know, character background interview. And I'm like, hey, Kate, what do you do? And she's like, oh, I make 3D art for video games. And I was like, really? <laughs> Do you? He said, making an extravagant gesture with one hand and then leaning on it. <laughs> and and yeah, so that progressed to to being like, okay, well, Kate was also interested in not, you know, continuing to necessarily stay where she already was and to take a chance on making our weird walk around a house game with us. But that was our our little four crew that yeah. that came together luckily very quickly. It was pretty quick. Um, for us to, to be able to jump into making Gone Home. Yeah. Yeah. Small teams. <laughs> small teens. <laughs> small teams making games about small teens. <laughs> Done. <laughs> um, I mean, what do you remember about, you know, when we kind of got into the the meat of making that project? Like, we got very quickly from the point of what is the idea for this game even to, like, we need to make a playable demo so we can enter it into the IGF in October, as yeah. I remember. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, when I remember the, like, the friction points that I had, like, dealing with the game, I think I remember being, like, this house is too big. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the, I like, I hadn't internalized or, like... Um, I hadn't really fully mentally dealt with. There's some exciting stuff going on there around might be, us. There might, there might be some Muppets next door to us right now. That's very possible. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember there being some mental hurdles to get over in the sense of like, okay, so this is a house. It looks like a house. It has the signifiers for a place that people live. We're not making literally everything that a person would have, but we need to make it feel not too sparse. Right. And we need to be able to signify the things that are important, hopefully not in, like, a super, you know, trite way with, right. like, putting a spotlight on the, you know, the notebook on the counter. Right. And, like, and also, um, not to mention the whole, like, okay, you know, best if Sam is not literally leaving puzzles for you right. to, like, you know, fix in order to get to where she is. And so, and we had we had some tension with that throughout with, like, the uh, the three pieces of uh, notes, and which I think ended up being two pieces. Um, of the, because of uh, a dream you had. That's right! <laughs> God! Short, shortly before we submitted oh uh, the, the IGF demo... Um, yeah, I had originally, because I'm a freaking quest designer, had been like, okay, you need the, the locker combination to Sam's <laughs> locker. It should be torn into three pieces and I'll hide them in these three little compartments. And Carla woke up one morning and was like, I woke up last night just realizing it shouldn't be three pieces. It's too, like, yeah. it's too corny, it's too basically. Game to game, yeah. Uh, and I was like, all right, well, let me think about that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the, you can't, we'll just tear it in half. Yeah. That'll be enough that you have to find both halves to figure out the right. the thing, and then we'll just have one of the compartments that we had built 
for the third part, just have something else in it, which yeah, is actually yeah. better. That was fine. Hey, yeah. Like that's a that's yeah. a better player experience anyway because it means you're not just like hitting you know bingo every time yeah. you you open the thing. It's like oh this one that's doesn't true. have what I'm looking for, but it's a different interesting thing. Oh the next one had what I was looking for. Well the other important thing there is that it's literally the exact same principle as the three points of the arc. Um, uh, audio diary problem. It's yep. like once you get to the second one, you know what the third one's going to be, or you have a pretty good guess, right. and you're just like, okay, when am I going to get it right. and finish this thing? Yeah. And like, but when you get the to same the second one, and you're like, oh, maybe these aren't all going to be the thing I expect, then it right. sets you up for is the third one going to be the thing or right. not? It's yeah. like there's two points of like excitement slash finishing, you know, satisfaction. You know what I mean? Like, you get the first one, and you're like, oh, cool, it's got parts. I guess I need to find another one. And you find the last one, and you're like, that's all the parts. Great. And the middle part is the part where you're like, yeah, I'm getting there. And there's just nothing, like... There's nothing exciting about that one. Yep. And if you just leave a hole, or if you put some other damn thing there for people to get interested in, then you remove one of the boring parts right. of your video game. Right. I mean, it, it, it turns it in, like... Yeah. When when you get... When there's part one, two, and three, you do part one and then part two, and now you've just set up a line that's going to part right. three. And that either means you need to upset expectations right. at part three, which you can do. Right. And or... it better be a good ex- upset of expectations. It can't just be like, you know, yeah, the, the opposite or whatever. Right. Yeah. Or, yeah, you unstring the second part and you're like, oh, I guess I don't know where this line is pointing yes. to. So then the end point that you already had before feels legit. Right. Because you weren't sure if that was going to be there anymore. Which right. is nice. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot, like, there's so much of that in, like, the kind of level designer side of design mm-hmm. of being like... How do we set up a gag? How do we set up, mm-hmm. oh, I assume this is going to happen when I get here. Right. And then upset that expectation mm-hmm. in a way that's, like, fun and surprising. Right. And feels legit. And then eventually you get to where you were going. Right. You know, but there's so much of that, like, okay, so whenever I, you know, click on this kind of thing, this happens. Ah, but there's that one time it doesn't. And right. that was, like, a funny thing that went afterwards. You're like, oh, that makes sense. Right. And, you know, it just keeps you a little bit on less even footing. Mm -hmm. You know, like, that lack of predictability, I think, is really important for this kind of, like, crafted experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, specifically with Gone Home, we were trying to... We were trying to keep it open so that people could experience it with a whole lot... uh, Without a whole lot of, like, you know, super gamey backgrounds. And so, like, yeah, there being three pieces to the puzzle was just, like... This is the most legacy freaking thing in this game, yeah. you know? Like get get that out of here and it it just felt it felt traditional yeah. in a way that we didn't need really. It just it, yeah. it just felt default. It did, know? yeah. And it was my default yeah. <laughs> like assumption yeah. like we'll do this. Yeah. Um and upsetting that default, you know, I think is really important. Yeah. Um So yeah, we uh we made that. Yeah. <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> Well, yeah, because I mean, we we worked on Gone Home for I mean, it was a short yeah. development cycle. It was it was a little less than a year and a half. It yeah. was seventeen months, yeah. Um, and yeah, we were really um, fortunate to have like, God, yeah, there's so much luck involved in that <laughs> process. Like, we we entered the game into the IGF that year. And when we entered it, there was no narrative category. Oh my god! And then it was like a week after 
the the judging started, they were like, by the way, we're adding this narrative category to the IGF. And we were like, oh, well, that's good. And that ended up being the only category we were nominated. Yeah. I think we thought we were going for, like, design. Yeah. Or just, I mean, fingers crossed, just shameless because it's kind of a catch-all or whatever. Yeah, that's true. Uh, But it's also a very high bar to be one of the five games that's nominated for Grand Prize. Um, So, you know, we were like, oh, okay, well, that's good. And that's what got us to IGF and really helped, you know, kind of keep people's attention on what we were doing and not to mention allowed us to be on steam right oh yeah because back then it wasn't it was the way that yeah Yeah. they're like every igf uh finalist gets a steam contract yeah again very different times which previously (laughs) you'd had to go through the process you'd go through the the green light process at best or and that was later even then they introduced green light around that same yeah. time and so we were like oh good we're in igf so we don't have to go into green light right exactly before that yeah. you just had to like you know know somebody yeah. or apply or whatever. God, i don't even know i don't even know either honestly um but yeah i mean it was i i, I think back on that time um really fondly and i think for legitimate reasons because like we lived together we worked together we had mm-hmm. separation of what we were doing you know we got to live our own lives mm-hmm. but also there was just this ambient you know, time that we had around each other that we would just be walking to the grocery store together and bring up this thought that we had about the game story or, you know, that kind of stuff. We were mostly living the video game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was, I don't, I don't think, uh, I think that was sort of what we'd signed up for is just kind of like, yeah, that was, that was the thing is that we, since we spent so much time together, we didn't know that many people locally and yeah. also we were working anyway so we would just be all like going out and doing things together like going seeing movies and mm-hmm. like yeah going over to the grocery store and like i don't know i got i'm i'm still grateful i got to spend that much time with rachel like she's she's good to hang around with yeah. um yeah. but like yeah you we know. would do a lot of like just like oh let's walk over to the hollywood theater because they're right. playing this weird movie tonight or and we lived really whatever. close to it yeah. and like that was you know cool and good but like honestly everything kind of was orbiting around the game. Yeah. And so we would just ambiently have conversations about it all the time. Um, but And because we didn't, like, I don't know, we weren't super working to be like, you know, okay, I need to, like, I need to build my, like, support structures here. We kind of had each other. Yeah. And so because of that, it didn't feel, like, oppressive. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, and I don't know. It was it was a really good um, environment for something like that to happen in. Now I, I'm like I can't do it because I have too much of my own life. Right. But like, but like then I only like I only had you all in the house <laughs> right. and like that video game, and we just kind of put everything into it in a way that was like not as horrible as it sounds. <laughs> it it was actually like generally pretty gentle yeah i feel like it was it it had an i feel like it added an organic aspect yeah. to it where there was like okay we'll get up in the morning we'll get to work on stuff when it feels like it's time to get to work on stuff we'll you know take some time off during the day to yeah walk into an mm-hmm. errand or something and like you and rachel and i did a lot of uh, just defaulting to like Ah, we're done for the day. Let's go upstairs and watch two more episodes of Next Generation yeah. while we, like, yeah. lie around and drink yep. whiskey cocktails. Yep. And we would end up, like, talking about the game a yeah. lot. And it would just... We would just have ideas 
ideas and because we were so steeped in that world, sort of like with when we made Minerva's Den, yeah. um, everything would just sort of flow into that. Yeah. And it was it was really good for the game. Yeah. I think there were a lot of things that went into the game that we that kinda of came out of just little moments of discussion or realization that we happen to have yeah. in the margins that, that kind of only can happen by accident. Now I just remember like I don't know. I, I I have a distinct memory of the time that I was walking up the stairs from the basement to go upstairs to like put a put a Trader Joe's veggie corn dog in the microwave or something. Bless your heart. <laughs> and uh and I just remember I had the the moment that clicked with me where I was like what if you went upstairs and on that bulletin board, Dad had put a note that was like, "Stop leaving all the damn lights on. You're as bad as your sister." <laughs> because we had had like a playtest and people were talking about leaving how they left the all the lights on and then they felt yeah. bad about it. And yeah. I was like, "Oh, wait a second. Yeah. But like, you know, I remember yeah. like calling like, down the stairs to you. And I was being like, "That's like... Goofy's hell, Steve." <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's because like that kind of stuff can happen in a dev studio, yeah. but there's just all those opportunities for things just to kind of like percolate yeah. when there's this ambient time together as well. Yeah, when I think about that time, I think about us all like sprawled on the couch with like whiskey and like just talking about stuff and sitting in the um, sort of dining room area and talking about like how we were going to have a company and right. and like or like out in the backyard with the, true. like around the fire pit area yeah. or whatever, yeah. And like uh, yeah, I, I remember um us trying to figure out how we wanted to end the game and yeah. like yeah we, we were doing a lot of yeah we would sit around the the dining room table and and discuss things a lot and yeah just like endless walking around and talking about where they what the character arcs were and stuff yeah. like that walking you know? to lunch and back and yep. being like wait what if this happened you know yeah yeah i i think uh i think the hardest thing I think the, the hardest story thing that we had to work to figure out was, like, how exactly is the ending going to go? Yeah. So we had multiple versions of that ending. Yep. We even did one where you modeled, like, a silhouette of oh my like, God. Sam coming back home and showing up behind you. We put I that in the game. I forgot about that. We prototyped yep. it, and then we were like, ah, that's not the ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, it was like, gosh, we... I mean, speaking of, like, small productions and everything, we recorded... The, the second half of the VO for the game, like everything that happens after Sam, after you open Sam's locker, we recorded all that dialogue with Sarah Grayson, who was the voice of Sam, six weeks before we released the game on Steam. Oh, beans. <laughs> that was like... <laughs> and we had, like, scratch in for everything uh, and everything, but then we were like, yeah, okay, yeah. all we have to do is replace the WAV files, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. There's other stuff that comes along with there it. There is. But, yeah, up to that point, it was only, like, a six week. Six weeks. I think it was a week or two before that that we finally were like, oh, it's because Lonnie's leaving for the army. Yeah. So that's why Boy, they that don't took get to a be long together time to end. get to, as yeah. I recall. I, we really did a lot of noodling. I think that information came from uh, Foley. We definitely talked to Foley about, about it. About what it was like. Yeah. But that might have been after? I, I think so. The way I remember it was that we were just in the kitchen, yeah, standing we were. around the kitchen island, and you were like, yeah, there needs to be some kind of deadline that's going to force them apart. And yeah. what if what if Lonnie was going to go into the army? Yeah. And we were like, that totally makes sense. And then I think shortly after that, we had Foley come over. Yeah. For our, our friend Foley um, was a, an army brat yeah. growing up and asked about, like, 
what does it mean to grow up in a military right. family and what does it mean to have the expectations of your family that you are or aren't going to go into the military right. and like you and know, what that happens kind of stuff. if you have signed up like you know <laughs> and you don't show up right yeah <laughs> yeah and, the answer yeah. is you should probably either be going to mexico or canada <laughs> yeah which by the way turns out uh sam has family in canada and lonnie has family in mexico so <laughs> that's funny <laughs> yep <laughs> I love it. Um, but yeah, totally. That was, yeah, I remember it. that took a long time to get to. Yeah. And like, yeah, just the, we had tried to fill that space in a lot of different ways. We were like, they're growing apart. Yeah. They're like. Lonnie was going to run off with her band to right, go on tour. Lonnie's got, right. The, the band was, was another force for like, yeah, pulling Lonnie away. Um, you know, Lonnie stops being as interested, you know, for yeah. no good reason. Right. And like, yeah, we had a hard time with that. We were like, these are all valid things for people to do, but it didn't feel, um, you know, mechanically motivated, like well, there was, story mechanics. Yeah. That's accurate. And also there was, uh, and I think there was an element throughout all of it where it was like, this is going to be a tragic ending where they don't yeah. get to be together at the end. Yeah. And it's going to be sad because Lonnie left and Sam was left behind right. or Lonnie left and Sam ran off to try to go find her or na 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 na. And then we were like, we just want them to get to be together yeah. at the end. So how do we have a thing where there's this threat looming for the entire game about how they're not going to get to be together? Right. And then the ending is that they overcome that right. and get to be together instead of, oh, they grew apart and then right. Lonnie uh, left and it. Sam sad. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was kind of the turning point that led yeah. to us being like, well, what can the thing that they actually end up working against well, be that feels like they have to work against it and not something that you can just like easily choose not to do a thing or whatever? You I know? think we moved it into that role. I think when we first thought of it, we were like you know, this is what they're working with in the relationship, and the relationship will either succeed or fail. Right. And then when we were like, okay, we actually want them to succeed, we moved that into a role where it was pushing more on on their circumstances. Right. Um, so that it would feel um, like a bigger deal to right. overcome it, um, or well, ignore it, as yeah. the case may be. Because but like, yeah. For a long time it had been like, the thing that's driving them apart is internally motivated. Yes, exactly. Like, they exactly. want different things, yeah. they don't like each other as right. much, Lonnie wants to go well, on the road or whatever. Because we didn't want it to be like, you know, the parents say, you have to go to school in Switzerland. Right. Sorry, because yeah. it's just like meaningless vicissitudes of fate. Right. Yeah. Because once it went from being an internal motivation to an external motivation, right. we also didn't want it to be right. like, the parents are telling them no. Right. Because A, that's kind of cliched, and B, it just feels like it's a totally external force right. just, like, like stepping on them. Right. These are our characters. Work with them, you right. know? Yeah. But then Lonnie being like, I have this history with mm -hmm. my family. My dad was in the military. I've always expected to go in. Mm -hmm. I signed up for basic before I met you, mm -hmm. but now things have changed, and what are we going to do about this? Right. It, it came from Lonnie, but was also an external force, right. which felt like a really good balance right Lonnie was tied to a greater force that was like not under her control right um and like that meant she had set a lot certain more things in motion herself and now right. the characters had to deal with it yeah that meant a lot more than like yeah parents arbitrarily deciding they weren't into this yeah um just because yeah it had it had better hooks into the characters yeah um and yeah like you know you're you're making the journey with these characters. These characters are making decisions and you're going along with them. Like their like plot points had best be connected into that stuff that you know right. and you're learning about. Yeah. There's yeah. a certain level that you don't want 
the things they're dealing with to be abstract. You yeah. know, you want them to be part and parcel of what you're finding out about them and, yeah. and what you care about in the game. And part of that is probably just unique to how we, you know, do things story-wise. But yeah, yeah. 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 Nevertheless. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was super interesting because the game came out and I think that all of our... Okay, so I think that our, our feelings were... We thought we made a game that was good. Yeah. I think we, we made a game that we thought we would like if we played it. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. Um, and because it was like a game where you just walk around and look at stuff, mm -hmm. we, we were sort of like, we think a lot of people hopefully will be into this, and then anybody else that isn't will just sort of like not care that much yeah. about it. But because of the, I think, you know, like time mm -hmm. in just like games media that we released in it actually was like much bigger of kind of like a talking point and a, a a focus of attention through like you know various you know sites right you know writing essays about mm -hmm. it and people in blogs talking about it and people making very personal posts about like how it related to their experience mm -hmm. on like their own blogs and stuff like that that um and also the the critical response in terms of like the review scores yeah. were much much different than we expected Seriously. in a way that I think was a reaction to the moment that we were in like we were very fortunate I think to have happened to have made something that a lot of people who were paying attention to games wanted something like that at that time yeah. you know there was this point I yeah. think in that moment where people were like oh you know big AAA games they're all about like violence right. and they make these you know worlds that I want to spend time in, but it's right. always just like, I wish I could just do that, but without killing people. It's like, yeah. oh, we, we, yeah. we made we, a game we, that's, that. that's about yeah. not killing people if yeah. you want to play it. And people were like, this, 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 which yeah. was, yeah. like, I think very surreal for us, I oh, would yeah. say. <laughs> well, it was weird. Like, I, I remember explicitly having that thought, um, working on Bio 2, and, and like, just being kind of like, man, you know, there's all these cool audio diaries and the environments are so cool, if only that these jerks weren't trying to shoot me all the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was a big inspiration for making the game yeah. in the first place, was, you know, we were working with people who had worked on the original Bioshock, and we were working on the sequel, and there was always this undercurrent of people that were like, I love exploring Rapture and being in this space and finding out about it, I just wish there weren't always guys trying to hit me in the back of the head with a lead pipe while yep. I'm like <laughs> listening to an yeah. audio diary. And it's like, well, we could make a game where you find the stuff and nobody's trying to kill you while and you, you do it. Focus entirely on the story and yeah. you know less about upgrading your weapons. Right, and like, just like paring down. Right, like, just contains. remove what we have to worry about in yeah. making the game. Yeah. Um, and so you know, it was um, it was a thing that people were excited about at the time in a way that I think. We couldn't have predicted and we certainly yeah, didn't no. yeah <laughs> but it was very surreal to be like we had the launch party for that game in the backyard of yes. the house that we made it in and like chris remo and nick brecken drove up from san yep. francisco together to come hang out we just invited people from town and like rachel's parents were there and stuff yeah, that's right but they were was, playing the game too it was Ra really cute rachel's dad played gone home projected from a projector onto a bed sheet pinned up to the side of the house in the yard. That was adorable. Uh, it was the first time he'd ever used, like, an Xbox controller, That's and he actually right. totally got he walking and moving job, really which quickly. Which usually takes people some time. Yeah. 
I, I wonder if that might he he was a, a computer engineer for a long time. I wonder if maybe it was some of his like technical like oh I'll just fiddle with this maybe. gadget and yeah. see what it does or whatever. But like usually like motor wise like it's it, yeah it takes yeah. people a minute to pick that up. So yeah, yeah. That was but it was it was very strange to be like okay we're having the launch party for this game in our backyard this weekend and also a lot of people are playing it <laughs> and a lot of people weird. are like yeah there, there's a lot of like. 10 out of 10 reviews that we were not expecting. Um, It was a really weird time, but um, we were, I I would, you know, I would say that like above and beyond anything else, we were just really grateful that we were able to make something that a lot of people could connect with emotionally. For sure. In a way that, you know, we were like, we want to make something that brings you closer to these characters. For sure. But it actually like, clicked for yeah. for a, a big audience well, in a way that I don't think we had envisioned at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and not only that, but, like, it's one thing to make a thing that can connect with people, and it's another thing for it to get into their hands. Right. And we were, we were very lucky that we both made something that strangers would play and be <laughs> excited about, but also that they knew about it at all right yeah and like that, that it, it kind of spread yeah in an organic way yeah we to, were to a large audience very lucky to get um to just like show up at the right time for right people to spread the word and yeah. stuff like that and yeah it was that it was that moment around then and like papers please and mm-hmm. stanley parable like yep. we were we were in good company in uh in the year 2013 yeah <laughs> oh my god it was i mean it was cool to be around that that group of people who were just like making this stuff that I think, yeah, all of us were just lucky that it hit at that time, um, that people were paying attention, you know? Pretty much, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the we went from there to being like, oh, well, I guess we're, like, a real company now. Yeah. <laughs> so how do we do that? Which yeah. is its whole other own thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's something funny, like, we started the thing just to, like, make a game, and then at the point that we were, like, you know... We can actually hire people. We can actually make something of a slightly larger scope that we were like, oh, wait, we accidentally became, like, small business owners. I know. Hmm. Okay. That's <laughs> well, so weird. That's something new to learn about, which has definitely been an ongoing, years-long learning experience for us. Yeah. That's, that's for damn sure. <laughs> yeah, it turns out that that's not one of the roles you can really take in a larger company and thereby learn about how it works before you go yeah. out on your own. Yeah. Um, you can just hope that you... Uh, it kind of is, but not really. It kind yeah. of, yeah, but... Not exactly. Like, no. even if we one of us had been from, like, PD or whatever, it's not the same thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we took some time off, and we did, did a lot of traveling and stuff. Yeah. And then, yeah, we were like, what are we gonna do next? Yeah. Like, what does it mean to do something next for <laughs> us? You know? Yeah. Because, I mean, I think that there's a total, like... One of those answers could have been, let's just not do anything together anymore. Like, I don't know, that that could have been on the table. But, like, in a world where we're like, we should keep making stuff, we had to start thinking, like, what does our studio look like? And yeah. what does a project look like for that? Um, How are we going to do this? <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, that was a that was a really strange time, I think, for for us, because we were like, how do we build off of what we've done, but do something unique and different? Mm-hmm. And who do we need to be on the team to be able to do that? So we hired Tynan Wales, who mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier, who was a level designer with me at um, at 2K Marin. And our programmer, Hannah, who works here 
still was she came on as an, a summer intern during our first summer that we were working on the game and we knew we wanted to have these like abstracted characters in the game so we were going to need an animator so yeah. we hired uh, Noel Clark who was the the lead animator for Tacoma and is um, working with us on our next game and then bo- both of us had unexpected health things mm-hmm. come up like I was in a bad auto accident with my wife and you know you had some yeah. health stuff that you had to deal with and so like we were like okay we had this like successful game we have like a lot of resources to work with we're hiring like our friends and these new people that we're excited to work with oh and, and now like we're in the hospital and it's really hard to like juggle keeping that stuff yeah. going and like thinking about things like how to make a good video game when also like I'm walking with a cane for a while, you know? <laughs> and we were incredibly grateful and, and lucky to have, you know, both our families and also, like, the people that we had brought on at the studio to, like, be there to yeah. help us with stuff and keep working on stuff and kind of, like, be the the people that were, like, doing the thing while we were doing our best to <laughs> remain involved for a little while. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was an exciting time to so weird <laughs> to be trying to like continue making a thing when it's like okay well we can't really just put this whole thing on pause right now but we have to figure out how to be involved but also like there was uh, not a lot to give at yeah. that point yeah so you know like sometimes you have an incredibly blessed development cycle like yeah. gone home we're like yeah. oh let's move into a house well oh we need a 3d artist yeah. oh here's one <laughs> you yeah know? i mean like we moved our ship date earlier and yeah. we still did fine yeah. like it, that's never happened in the history of video games <laughs> and then sometimes you start spinning up and you fucking <laughs> yeah both of us are in the hospital on like consecutive days yeah and like i also think that we did not we didn't really take enough recharge time before that happened. I think you're probably right. I think that I remember getting back into like really starting to work on Tacoma and just being like, "Ugh, <laughs> this is a lot." Yeah. And I didn't, ha- I didn't have enough of that like new project excitement, which I should have had yeah. at the beginning of a project. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I think it's really hard because like when it's the first time you're doing it, yeah, we don't know. You're, you're kind yeah. of like. Well, also we're used to AAA where it's just like, okay, maybe you get a week off, come back. You're right. Like, exactly. Yeah. Oh, you did a good. <laughs> job take a few weeks yeah. and now you know we've already started on the next project yeah. so i think you know it can be hard to to be like okay is the sense of urgency that we're feeling something that we need to follow through on or yeah. can we start this slower can you know or is it just cetera, sort of like i usually am working on something right what why am i not working on something now you know i yeah. mean like yeah it's it's hard to tell what to listen to yeah and so i think you know for me with tacoma i'm definitely it's sort of like with Minerva's Den, I'm the most proud out of anything of the team that we were able to bring together yeah. and the work that we were able to like yeah. help support them in doing. Yeah. Um I mean, this is this goes for everybody on the team. Everybody yeah. on the team is an incredibly thoughtful, yeah, kind person. Yes. Very understanding and collaborative. So, you know, we we I think the the ways that making Tacoma was hard were 
knowing how to follow up your first project that was a success and just what the hell that even is. It was personal stuff that was hard mm-hmm. for me and Carla to, to have to, to manage. It was small business stuff that you just yeah. don't know. Like, what does it mean to, like, budget a right. production? And, like, scaling up, like, people and, and size of project, like, that is not... You're not doing things the same way yeah. you were doing it when it's smaller. Like, that is... It's not like, you know, oh, well, we have, you know, three more people, so we can just keep doing things the same way we've always been doing. Yeah. That is incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot yeah. do that. And, and, yeah. and that was a lot of learning experiences. Yeah. We were like, oh, we learned that there was a bunch of stuff. We were like, well, we'll just do it the same way. Right. Like, you can't really do it the yeah. same way. Not. But it's too late. We decided we were doing it yeah. that way, so we kind of have to And now. now we're stuck with it, and we don't, you but know, whatever. But that's not the best way, yeah. but we didn't know that before. And, you know, the way that I think we really had a blessed production was that we were like, oh, we have these people that we can rely on that, you know, like, bring both, you know, skills and, like, good things to the game, but also this sense of, like, having a collaborative outlook and being positive people that are willing to, like, talk about what's going on and, you know, um, that's the stuff that you really can't replace with anything else that is very true yeah um yeah we are good people and we would be we would be nothing without our good people (laughs) yeah it's just it's really strange like you know i've gone from being a very project focused person to much more of like a process and team Mm -hmm. focused person and i mean you know i mentioned it about minerva's den but still it was very much like this is the first project that i get to be lead on Uh we're gonna like make a thing that's cool and that people, you know, like, and I think with Gone Home, it was such a small team that we were sort of like, we're all just like putting our stuff into the game, make it good. And now that we have this group that we're sort of like, we are here to support you guys being able to be a part of what we do and for us to make something cool together and to do that well, Mm -hmm. you know, in a way, in a way that like, doesn't grind people into the dirt and doesn't like waste people's time and energy like you're doing valuable stuff we don't want to throw out a bunch of your work all the time you know all that kind of stuff is really what feels like the most exciting and valuable to me these days is like how can we do this in a way that's that makes something cool but above and beyond that is like good for the people that are are like believing in us to like lead this this team and you know run this company no yeah it Um, is it is our job to give them an environment where they can do the rest work and learn and like become you know better game devs and whatnot and that is what we have to do we have to make that somehow we have to create those systems so that they can do that and yeah that is definitely a little unusual yeah i don't know yeah it's one of those things is just sort of like your role keeps yeah keeps keeps morphing as you go i mean i think it's true for anybody even if you just go from being like you know a junior animator to an animator mm-hmm. to a lead animator you're still like oh the things that i have to think about are are so different totally now. yeah um but you know like I, I i've mentioned this internally before but i think the thing i'm most excited about with our next project is like we have this foundation of a team as our starting point Mm-hmm. You know, we're like, we have it's these true. great people together and yeah. how do we make something from that? That's like, you know, good for that group and, mm-hmm. and vice versa. And having that starting point, I think is as opposed to just, 
what game do we want to make randomly or what can we make you know just in the barest like practical sense but more like here's here's who we are so what does that mean Mm -hmm. is a really exciting place to start from yeah in a totally reductive way it's kind of like it's like a resource allocation sim where it's like this is what we have to work with what can we do and like yeah and that is that is a i don't know it's good to know your limitations and it's good to know what you're like what you're building around i guess yeah Yeah. so like yeah this is it's good what no i agree um (laughs) so yeah so i guess uh I guess we're going to make another thing after why this. Why would we do that? <laughs> I think we just talked about why. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but yeah, we're going to we're bringing a couple more um exciting new people into the yeah. team and we're going to keep kind of expanding what we are capable of, I think. And yeah. I don't know, it's going to be it's going to be a pretty long road and I think we're not I mean, I can't say this with too much uh definitiveness but i think we're going to try to kind of like keep it under wraps for a while like not talk about what we're doing for for a while and just be able to let it really develop um inside the studio for a while yep but um i don't i'm i'm looking forward to 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 digging back in and kind of seeing what our team does with the the starting point that we have and where it actually leads to because uh, if if the past tells us anything, it probably will not look a lot like exactly what we're picturing right now. But <laughs> but I think it'll end up being something cool. I think this is going to be an interesting one. And <laughs> yeah, I think I I do think that at the very least, it's going to be interesting to work on. I think so too. Yeah. Thank you, Carla, for spending a bunch of your day talking with me about all this stuff. It's been really fun. I'm glad we got to do it. Thank you for talking to me, Steve. (laughs) It has been an interesting time. (laughs) And it will continue to be. It will be. (laughs) Talk to you later, Carla.